Should we, should we see? Do we need a, need a setup? Uh, I'm not sure what we brought. No, I'm kidding. Of course, I know what we brought. This is, um, no, this is a, a scene where uh, Spock, who's the, you know, one of the main characters, uh, for reasons that you'll have to see the film to understand, has, uh, is in a volcano in this crazy suit. And he's in this volcano, and this is the scene. Spock in a volcano in a crazy yeah. suit. Let's take a look at this uh, three-frame clip from Star Trek Into Darkness. Nothing is so terrible as a pretentious movie. I mean, a movie that aspires for something really terrific and doesn't pull it off is shit. It's scum. A film de Jean-Luc Godard. La tendresse. L'aventure. Le mensonge. L'amour. Les Champs-Élysées. La peur. Avec Et Jean-Paul Belmondo. Diable au corps, Dieu réfléchit chez les hommes, et Dieu créa la femme, Scarface, à bout de souffle. Le meilleur film actuel. For the first time in the history of the Cannes Film Festival, one film has swept all the major awards. Just mean it, would you marry me? Yes. Why? Because I want to. Not because you love me or anything like that, huh? I respect and admire you. Isn't that love? No, that's respect and admiration. I think that's better than love. How? When people are in love, they do all sorts of crazy things. They get jealous, they lie, they cheat, they kill themselves, they kill each other. I'll marry you if you admit that respect, admiration, and trust equal love. Okay. They equal love. Welcome to Geek Fights, the Ponzi scheme of podcasting. I'm Damon Shaw. With me as always is Mr. Mike Ortiz. Mike, what are we fighting about? Well, tonight uh, we've got one of those big questions, the kind that's going to make everybody mad because this person didn't make the list or that person made the list or this person lost and this person won. They're going to tell us we got it wrong because we are doing the best director. So who's joining us tonight? I have no idea. Okay, let's begin. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Uh, tonight we've got Greg Blanchard. Hello. Christy Woke. Hi. Jeremy Sacker. Hello. And Paul Kowalski. Greetings, everybody. So how do the fights work, Mike? Well, just listen along. It's not that hard. Let's move on. Uh yeah, and uh, we're wrong. I'm just say it right off the bat. We're 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 wrong because UA Bowl did not make the list, and he is one of the greatest directors of all time. Uh, drag. What is it? What is it? Uh, Return of the King. Something. What is it? God damn it! The King movie that he made with. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's so good. It's bad. Uh, but anyway, let's jump into our first fight. Greg, this one is yours. It is Akira Kurosawa versus Sidney Lumet. And this one's tough because I, I might have put them both on the list. I don't know. I definitely would have if I if I if Kurosawa wasn't already on there. Uh, Sidney Lumet has got a little bit of TV background. He's got some a prolific career. Twelve Angry Men, Network, two of my favorites. But I'm going to have to go with Akira Kurosawa. His career is every bit as prolific, and the uh, the market that he was making movies in back then was well post war non-existent. So Kurosawa. Uh, vote for Kurosawa, Mike. You know, whenever we have these kind of uh, of geek fights where there's a lot of really good choices, and most people 
are, are trying hard to put, you know, their favorites on here. Um, we always wind up with a lot of really tough ones. So it's like, yeah, this is a tough one. Most of these are going to be kind of tough to some degree. So for me, um, all I can ever really do in judging something like this is which one do I personally like better? Uh, and in this case, it is definitely uh, Sydney, Sydney Lebet. Um, I've seen uh, several of Kurosawa films. I, I do have a harder time with foreign films because I don't get the nuance of the language. That's one of the things I really like in a movie. So when it's not in my native language, uh, you know, you're, you're stuck with a translation and kind of imagining how those line readings are and things like that. So that's always going to be a bias with me. Plus, Sidney Lumet, um, even though he's had a very, very long career, he's one of those directors that, to me, defined the look and style of 70s drama. Um, and uh, that really is is a period that I, I respond to and like a lot, and there's several directors on here that are part of that. Um, and since Lumet really did that in, in a very definitive way uh, with many of his movies that will be na- have been named, will be named, um, I'm going to vote for him. Christy? I'm going to keep it short and say that I'm voting for Kurosawa. He is definitely one of the most prolific filmmakers that are on the list. And I'll talk more about it later because surely Kurosawa will go through. Uh, Paul? Well, I don't know what I could say right now that John Travolta didn't say better in the opening sequence of Swordfish in his praise for Sidney Lumet's work. So, um, Dog Day Afternoon, and I'll go with uh, Sidney Lumet. It is all tied up. It comes down to you there, Jeremy. Which one's going to take the win? Uh, this is a, a tough matchup. Um, I like both these directors a lot. Um I think Mike kind of sums it up when he said that Lumet kind of um, had a really great look, and uh, you know, in terms of the '70s and everything like that, and his contribution to kind of these gritty, uh, you know, streetwise films, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, um, and he actually directed one of my favorite movies, uh, Network, uh, which I think is just a brilliant, um, a brilliant movie. But I, I'm going to have to go with Kurosawa just based on the fact that he just meant more to the movie industry and just made some just incredibly epic uh, films. Um, probably we'll talk more about them, you know, as we go on since he's moving on. Uh, Kira Kurosawa, moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It's a, uh, what's this one again? Aki. Aki Kurosmaki. Okay. Versus Christopher Nolan. Mike. Uh, I will vote for Christopher Nolan because I don't know who the other one is, and I'm not sure that I can pronounce it either. Uh, Christy? <laughs> okay. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Kurosawa since I'm assuming that no one else is going to be as familiar. But um, he's a Finnish filmmaker. He is uh, still alive, so he's still making film. Um, they're hanging on the edge of both comedy and tragedy all of the acting is super deadpan and there's very little talking and the music is hilarious and i wish i could just i wish i could show you an example because it's really hard to talk about such a visual medium you know with words instead of with visuals but um i don't really i mean i i i'm really bad at making a case obviously but you should vote for him because he's great 
A vote for Chris Maki. Uh, Paul. Well, Chris Maki was one of these guys I actually had to look up prior to entering into this uh, little engagement here. And I discovered that he filmed a, a short in 1986 called Rocky Six, which was a parody of Rocky Four, which I think is just brilliant given the time frame. So I'm going to go with Chris Maki on the basis of Rocky Six. Yes. I'll vote for Chris Maki. Jeremy. Um, I. I didn't really know anything about Karismaki either, um, so I might have to go the uh, the Mike route of kind of just voting for someone that I am familiar with. Um, you know, I think Nolan is a is a good director. I don't think he's amazing. I think he has a really great look. Uh, his, um, you know, he's he basically just reinvented the the Batman movies and made, in my opinion, two out of three of them really great. I wasn't a big fan of the last one. But um, and he's, you know, producing the Superman movie. So I guess kind of my, you know, nerdy preference um, it would be to vote for Nolan. Uh, vote for Christopher Nolan. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Greg. Which one takes the win? And I was sitting here the whole time thinking that it was going to be decided before it got to me. Because I also come into this not knowing anything about Kurosaki, And I think that impresses me. It impresses me a lot. Enough to vote for him, in fact, because you know that's one of the things that I really enjoy about geek fights is things that I don't know, the the books I haven't read, the episodes I haven't seen, and um, for Nolan, like in some to some degree, like Lamette before him, benefiting from really really great screenwriting, and sometimes I have a hard time deciding which one of the Nolan brothers has contributed more greatly to their success. So I'm going to vote for Kurismaki. A uh, vote for Chris Maki, and Chris Maki is moving on. Christy, this one is yours. It is Carl Theodore Dreyer versus the what is this? Desica? Toro Desica. Um, this isn't very hard for me. Um, I love Carl Theodore Dreyer. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. He's probably best known for The Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, which is often cited as the most influential film of all time. Um, it's not my favorite of his, but it's, you can't, I have never met anybody who's seen that film and not been completely moved by his shots and the main actress. Um, it's beautiful. Um, it, it, Bicycle Thieves by DeSica is as good a film as anyone is going to make ever. It's, it's and and what's really great about Bicycle Thieves is that it ended right after the ending scene instead of having this denouement like most films then and now do, which is frustrating and not not a lot of people have the balls to just end it when it ends. Um, but I'm going to vote for Dreyer because there's always something mysteriously earth shattering, spiritually revelatory in his films, and. I just, I love him. So, Dreyer. Uh, vote for Dreyer. Paul. Well, I'll, I, I give props to Christy for being the first one to use denouement in this podcast. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Um, I'm going to go with uh, DeSica, actually, because uh, actually I'm not that familiar with Dreyer, and I believe I have seen Bicycle Thieves, which 
again, I thought it was an incredibly compelling and uh, again, just the way the the story ended up, which is completely an antithesis to what American audiences want. It's just it's not a very happy ending. Um, well, semi happy, I guess. Um, anyway, Desika, I'm gonna go with. A vote for Desika, Jeremy. Well, uh, the two movies that were mentioned um, were the only two movies that I've actually seen of either of these directors, and they are both great. Um, but I'm going to basically go with uh, Dreyer because Joan of Arc would probably kick the crap out of a bunch of bicycle thieves. <laughs> a vote for Dreyer. Uh, Greg? Um, DeSica is pretty much the reason that we have a Best Foreign Film Oscar. Before there was such a thing, he won awards for Shoeshine, and I think maybe Bicycle Thieves was the first real winner of the award. He also did Umberto D and filmed many of the movies that we remember Sophia Loren for, at least the ones that are comedies, the ones that are lighthearted. If you've got a mental image of Loren and Marcello Mastriani in a strip tease scene, that's, that's De Sica. So I appreciate his range, um, not just a neo-surrealist, De Sica. A vote for DeSica, and the reason why you can hear me smiling right now is it's all tied up. It comes down to Mr. Ortiz, who it probably shouldn't come down to. Um, this this is this is funny and terrible and sad um, because this is really uh, if the first two rounds didn't kind of give it away, this is the round that definitely separates the movie geeks from the other geeks. Uh, because these both fall into the do not know, uh, and you know, quite honestly, don't really care. I'm a Philistine. I admit it. I'm not a movie geek, so I have no point of reference whatsoever other than the physical fight mentioned earlier. And I do agree, Joan of Arc would beat Bicycle Thieves. <laughs> so Dreyer <laughs> takes the win on that one, and we're moving on to our next one, Paul. This one is yours. This one is a hard one for me, at least. It is David Lynch versus Alfred Hitchcock. Absolute killer. I would not want to see this. This is a brutal first round matchup. Um, I think I know the way it's going to go, but I have, with the utmost respect that I have for everything that Hitchcock has ever done, the weirdness of Lynch just gets me every time. So I have to, I have to do whatever I can to get him through to the next round. So first round ballot to David Lynch. A vote for Lynch. Jeremy. And this is like, this is brutal. <laughs> um, I feel like it's kind of like been flipped. Like my earlier vote for Kurosawa was based on how influential he was and how epic, you know, his movies were. And, you know, the same could be said for Hitchcock, but um Lynch, for me, just personally, I just I, I've I've always been more connected to his style of filmmaking. I, I totally love Hitchcock movies. They're great fun. They're they're creepy. They're 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 you know mysterious. But when you're watching a David Lynch movie, you are just transported to hit. You're literally in his unconscious. I I believe, and it's a crazy place to be, and. Just the movies that he's made, uh, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, just uh, Eraserhead, just, I can't, those those movies have been burned into my, into my mind, and so I have to vote for Mr. Lynch. Another vote for Lynch. Greg? 
for me to vote for David Lynch, it's going to have to have a lot to do with TV work as well. And we talked a little bit before the show about directors who've contributed in both medium. And um, you know, Lynch definitely, to me, is perhaps the one of the greatest television directors of all time and really you know, one of his few major stints over there. But I've got to go with Hitchcock because, well, we have iconic words like Hitchcockian. And we don't have a term for Lynch yet, although I've been, I think sometime that'll come in and we'll be referring to him that way. But if you look over the body of his work, um, movies like North by Northwest, Vertigo, Psycho, basically in the birds, basically being made back to back in like a four and a half year span to the things that he did in the silent era, even. And his work on TV is no slacker. I mean, his Alfred Hitchcock presents is every bit up there with, it's certainly better than things like night gallery. Um, so Hitchcock. A vote for Hitchcock, Mike. Uh, this one is actually uh, pretty easy for me. Um, I, uh, David Lynch is uh, is one of those directors that kind of that either clicks with you or he doesn't, and more often than not, with me, he doesn't. Um, you know, and, and I, I mean, I think he's a, he's a great director. I love uh, Twin Peaks certainly, and and several of his movies, but overall, just just never quite uh, quite connected with me the way he had with with a lot of other people. Um, Alfred Hitchcock was actually on my original list, and then I pulled him off because I figured. You know what? I want to put somebody on here that's a that that no one else is likely to put on because I knew somebody was going to put Alfred Hitchcock on the list. And then as the list came in, mine was actually the first. I kept seeing that Hitchcock was not on there, um, but the very last person actually had put something onto the duplicated mine. And I was immediately running over to my computer to say, "I'll switch out mine for Hitchcock because that way I could get him back on here." But somebody else actually beat me to it. So that's why Hitchcock's on here. I didn't have to dump any any other of mine. Um and and that's because for me he he should have really been in that top 6. Um Lynch again, I I really get it, but uh for me it's it's all about Hitchcock. A uh, vote for Hitchcock. Again, all tied up. It comes down to you now, Christy. All right. Um I'll make it quick. Uh, I'm not trying to be contrarian. When I first saw this list, I was like, oh, of course, I'll pick Alfred Hitchcock. But the more I thought about it, I thought that was like a safe pick. I thought everybody knows and loves Hitchcock. He's super prolific. Um, He is definitely, I think, the better filmmaker. But no one made a David Lynch movie before David Lynch did. And I think there have been a lot of... Hitchcock movies before and since and I'm not trying to detract from Hitchcock or his genius I do think he has a problem with the almost all of his this isn't quick is it this the almost all of his films are about 30 minutes too long (laughs) um but just for the not novelty but the independence of it all I'll vote for David Lynch and David Lynch is moving through. We are on to our next fight. Jeremy, this one is yours. It is Stanley Kubrick versus Booster Keaton. Oh, wait, no. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. All right. Well, I'll keep this one short and sweet. This is Kubrick all the way. Um, you know, I, I've seen a couple Buster Keaton movies. Uh, my dad showed them to me. And, you know, they're funny and everything. And uh, I get what the, you know, what the, the point of a more was back then. But um, Stanley Kubrick is just, um, he's just amazing. Um, his movies, I don't know if there's really even a bad Stanley Kubrick movie. I mean, there may be, but um, 
I just he's the man and he's he's moved. That's my vote for who's moving on. Uh, vote for Kubrick. Greg. I'm going to take a little time and talk about Buster Keaton because um, I felt like I needed to have somebody truly from the silent era on this list. And he's one of the few, you know, there's a handful at the most accommodate directors on this list. But Keaton was much more than that. I mean, the techniques that were kind of came up early, early in filmmaking in Russia through Eisenstein and others, Keaton mastered those just as well. And when we watch a, a Spielberg film and see that cross cutting between you know, somebody in peril and somebody coming to the rescue and somebody getting in the way of the rescue. That whole technique uh, probably represented as well by Keaton as it is by anybody in the silent era, including the other comedy great directors like Chaplin and, and um, you know, the stars like Harold Lloyd. Nobody did it better than Buster Keaton. And when you're watching a movie like Our Hospitality, you can sometimes get lost in the fact that the comedy has uh, faded out and it's become an adventure sort of film at the climax. And in the movie um, Sherlock Jr., where he literally walks right into the film that he is showing as a projectionist and moves from scene to scene through the uh, mise-en-scene established by other films, by other filmmakers, probably actually him filming those other films for him to walk through in and out. If you've got 45 minutes to spare, I'm sure YouTube has Sherlock Jr. And Sherlock Jr., considering the time that it was made, somewhere in the 20s, perhaps the greatest film um, of its time. Nobody had done anything like it. But I will defer to uh, what's probably ultimately going to happen in, um, in Kubrick going forward and just cast at least one lone vote for Buster Keaton. Uh, vote for Buster. Mike. Um, this, this is pretty easy for me. Um, it's uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he, he's certainly one of, of my favorite directors of all time. We were talking beforehand a little bit about what type of director is he, you know, does he fit into any genre and, and he really doesn't because even though he's done a lot of different things, he, he's done them once or twice and, and moved on and, and it's a tremendous body of work. Uh, I appreciate everything about Buster Keaton and, uh, and the stuff is, is hilarious. Um, but, uh, up against someone who I think is a, for me, a contender to go all the way here, uh, it's got to be Kubrick. Christy. Oh, well, I'm voting for Kubrick, but let me just sing the praises of, well, everyone, not everyone, but, you know, known for the general and other things that um, have already been set, talked about. But um, if you've never seen Seven Chances, in which his business is going under, he's in love with a girl who doesn't know that she's he's in love with her. He, so I forget, someone dies, and he's offered all this money, but he has to be married by a certain day, which happens to be that day. So they put an ad in the paper, and all of these women come to the church, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women all come to this church to get married to this guy. It boasts the longest chase scene I have ever seen. It, he does all of his own stunts always, which is in this particular chase scene is absolutely amazing. And there are hundreds of women chasing him in bridal dresses. It's hilarious and you should watch it. And I know it's on YouTube, um, but I'll vote for Kubrick. Hey, awesome. Uh, Paul. Well, again, as I, I think 
the same sentiments have been expressed before about Buster Keaton in the silent era. Um, it's just tough to compete, I think, with all the tools that are available to for like a with a Keaton versus a Kubrick. Kubrick's got so much more to work with. I think had Keaton come later, it would be probably a fairer fight. But I have to go with Stanley Kubrick as well. Um, I, I initially had a film student friend who was just a Kubrick disciple, which made me almost want to vote against him by default. But uh, a, a little more thought says he's he's really got to go further. So Stanley Kubrick. Uh, vote for Stanley Kubrick. And Kubrick is on to the next round. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It's David Fincher versus the Coen brothers. This is all shit kickers. This is pretty awesome. Go ahead, Greg. My bad. When I first saw this, uh, the names on the list, I thought, what am I going to do when it comes to Fincher? Because yeah, I'm hot and cold with him. And, you know, the movies that he's made that I love, I, I love as as passionately as any film I've seen. But then he's up against the Coen brothers, and that almost makes it easy for me because, again, you've got to, you know, guys who've worked in range, who've changed the way the Hollywood system works. When they were first releasing films, they couldn't be nominated together for any awards as, as directors, according to the Directors Guild. They also couldn't be nominated in the same categories, both director and editor, in the same way. And so you've got a lot of best editor nominees in Hollywood history for Roderick Jaynes. That was just their way of getting both of them credit for the work they do. Um, incredibly creative. No disrespect to Fincher, but for me, it's the Coen brothers. Mike? If you had uh, asked me this uh, several years ago, it would, have, it would have been Fincher. And even though he is still... Uh, one of my personal favorites because he's just done some movies that, that really, really connected with me. Um, he, I, I think a lot of his, his later work, a lot of his current work, uh, even though it's very good, has been, has felt kind of safe in a lot of ways, um, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, there's a, a, certainly a, a great proficiency to the work. Um, but that's not a word that I think you use to describe the Coen brothers ever. Um, you know, even when it seems like that's what they're doing, they're, there's there's something else coming uh, that that uh, goes in another direction, and uh, that's that's the kind of career spanning, you know, arc that uh, that I like to see, um, and uh, I think uh, I think I'm gonna go with Cohen Brothers. Another vote for the Cohen Brothers, Christy. Um, Cohen Brothers. All right, Paul. <laughs> um Fincher, I love him. I think his movies are they're slick. They look incredible. But I think they fail in their glossiness when paired against what the Cohen brothers you you feel the Cohen brothers, you see David Fincher movies. So, I'm going to go with the Cohen brothers uh cuz you never leave a man behind even if he's a baby in a car seat. A uh, vote for the Cohen brothers. So Jeremy, is it a clean sweep? Uh, it is a clean sweep. Um, I uh, in my in my early days of uh, of my teen year or late days of my teen years, uh, I I got really into into film and uh, Fight Club and and Seven uh, were some of the you know the the movies that I 
used to think were the best movies. Uh, you know, they just, cause they opened my eyes to, you know, kind of this weird quirky, you know, uh, film, you know, with lots of action and, uh, really, you know, great humor. Um, but over the years, I, you know, felt like I, my, my tastes have matured. And although I think that Fincher has some really great looking movies and, um, and fun, really fun movies, movies you could rewatch and have lots of, you know, uh, have lots of fun visiting. Um, the Coen brothers, um, just, uh, are just much more, they're in another, I feel like they're in another league basically. And, uh, they have such profound, um, movies. They can have really simple movies, just taught, uh, you know, psychological thrillers, uh, just, you know, uh, hysterically stupid movies. Um, just this whole, just different, uh, selection of, of, of great, great stuff. I haven't been as, as, uh, a fan of their, uh, their most recent, uh, movies as much, but pretty much from like the mid eighties to the, to the early two thousands, they were, they put out gem after gem. So I'm going to go with the Coen brothers. Uh, vote for the Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Woody Allen versus Louise Brunel. Right? Is that how I see it? This Brunel. one is, is, is pretty easy for me. Uh, again, I'm, I'm voting against the, the film school guy. I did, I did see Louise Brunel. I did see uh, what, on Shenandelu, uh in, in uh, film school. But uh, my film school film class. And uh, and yeah, I, I saw it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really don't like surrealist film. I'm a big fan of surrealist painting, though. Um, Woody Allen, I you know I've, I've mentioned before on this show. I I first saw uh, my first Woody Allen movie was Annie Hall in 1977, the same year I saw Star Wars. Uh, I was just a little kid. I was nine years old. I was probably way too young and didn't understand much of it at all. But I really enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed Woody Allen movies ever since. And if you want to talk someone who's defined. A, a kind of, of movie. I mean, Woody Allen's really done it. Uh, that the character that he is, that he's created, uh, is iconic. Um, and, and it's him, maybe, supposedly. I don't know, but he was the, the nerd that got the girl long before anybody else. Um, it's, uh, he's, he's one of my favorite directors. And again, I, I think I mentioned before the show, I really wanted to see a, a strong performance by, by comedy in this because I think it doesn't get the amount of attention that it deserves. I'm glad to see the Coen brothers already moving on. That's a good start. Uh, so for me, following that up with Woody Allen, uh, would uh, be the right thing to do. Oh, vote for Woody Allen. Uh, Christy. This is really hard for me. I do agree with Mike that Woody Allen is one of my favorite movie characters. Um, and maybe we can talk about Bergman a tiny bit here. Uh, since he may not make the unknowns. Um, but almost every single Woody Allen film is a parody or uh, imitation of Bergman. That's all I'll talk about. But um, I'm going to vote for Buñuel. I love surrealist film. I love Buñuel. Um, his, damning, his damning of society is amazingly acute. He really understands people. Um, super critical of bourgeois culture and religion, like organized religion, specifically the Catholic Church. Um, if you haven't seen, um, I don't know, uh, Belle de Jour is probably the best movie about sex ever. Um, Exterminating Angel 
if you haven't seen it, maybe you should see it because I'm telling you to. Uh, well, there's just so many. Um, I know he's not going to go on, but uh, because I, I can, I can foresee it. But um, I will vote for Louis Buñuel. Uh, vote for that guy, <laughs> Paul. Well, I'm going to go in with another vote for that guy. Um, I'll admit it. I don't know a whole lot about Louis Buñuel, but what I know about Woody Allen, I understand his influence. I understand that people like him. I can't stand him. I can't stand his movies. I don't like the constant insertion of the Woody Allen character. Watching Kenneth Branagh play Woody Allen doesn't make it any better. So, Buñuel, please move on. Another vote for Buñuel. Uh, Jeremy? Uh, I've I've um, only seen uh, Unchien Andalou. That's uh, my only exposure to Buñuel, and I thought it was really cool. And um, it was kind of in a phase where I was really into surrealistic uh, art as well. Um, but uh, Woody Allen, for me, resonates a lot more. Um, uh, I'm Jewish. I grew up in the Upper West Side. It's pretty much every movie he, he filmed. It's pretty much in that area. I just He's more of like a touchstone for me, I guess, like a, a cultural landmark. Um, his movies are, have often have me in stitches if I've seen them maybe... 10, 15 times. It's just, um, he's just, uh, uh, I mean, I guess the argument could be said that maybe he's not, you know, the best director per se, but he just knows how to make a great comedy. And he, his, his dramas are actually really, uh, you know, entertaining too. Um, and he definitely loved, loved his Bergman. I, I believe he, um, even uh, used Bergman's director of photography, Sven Nickvist, uh, for a, a whole uh, a bunch of movies that he made in the 80s that were pretty incredible. Um, but uh, my vote would go for uh, Woody Allen. Uh, vote for Woody Allen. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Greg. Which one takes the win? I feel like I need to say at first that um, Hannah and Her Sisters might be my favorite American comedy as far as it goes. And it has a connection to Annie Hall and, um, and later to deconstructing Harry. To me, it's a, it's a very great trilogy. So it's, it's no disrespect to Woody Allen, but you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Luis Manuel. And to me, he gets more um, out of surrealism than you would expect from the medium that he's in. And in some ways, the reason that we think of film as being such an ideal medium for surrealism is because, is because of his work. He wasn't the first to shoot a silent surrealist film, but he did it with such uh, he did it with such flair that we we have a term called Boonwheelian, just kind of like Hitchcock and Hitchcockian. Uh, for me, it's been well. And Boonwell, that guy is moving on. Woody Allen goes down in a blaze of glory, going down. Uh, and he also had sex with his. Uh, oh jeez! I just had, I just had to throw that out there. I, I still that still bugs me to this day. Uh, <laughs> Boonell is moving on. We're on to our next fight. It's the first unknown fight of the evening. Christy, this one is yours. It is what is this? Kazan, Kazan versus Jared's pick, which is I don't know where to start with this one. I can't even think of the right approach. Nobody I can, uh, I pick can go all the way. I want to hear people geek out on Hal Hartley, Christoph Koslowski, uh, Jim Jamarsh. I don't know how to say that. 
or uh, Michael Antonio. Milis Foreman deserves a shot. Uh, would anybody care to kick around Orson Welles? Uh, let's see. Yeah, what if girls made movies? Uh, I picked Sofia Coppola because of trailers for Bling Ring are hot. Or should I choose a- Adrian Shelley or Bigelow? Nope. It's Sophia Coppola. Sophia Coppola is the other pick. Christy, that's yours. Well, this is really easy. Sorry, Jared. Uh, Elia Kazan is um, one of the, he's like one of the best known Hollywood directors. And what's really cool about him is he wasn't tethered by Hollywood. He knew how to use it and was willing to make um, art using hollywood uh he's the most known for like on the waterfront streetcar named desire but this is a dude who made splendor in the grass in like the early 60s which is basically an anti-abstinence movie um god he's just amazing and, and not afraid to be gritty especially when he's teaming up with bud schulberg who is an amazing writer um it's so easy Ilya kazan uh, vote for Kazan. Uh, Paul. I, uh, Sophia Coppola. Um, I was entertained by Lost in Translation. I didn't think the Virgin Suicides was all that great. She gravy trained her way into Godfather 3. Not a directing credit, however. Um, Kazan. And because she was a baby in that movie, you're holding it against her. <laughs> she wasn't a baby. Godfather three. She was not a baby in Godfather oh, three. No, she. Uh, who was she? Who she took it over? Didn't get that far. Was that supposed to be Winona Ryder? And the movie still sucked. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, but a vote for Kazan, uh, Jeremy. To hold against her dad later. <laughs> um. I'm not super familiar with Elliot Kazan, but I have seen On the Waterfront, and it was a really cool movie. Um, but I do know that Sofia Coppola sucks, so I'm going to vote for Elliot Kazan. Greg? Um, I respect Kazan, but I've got one major problem, and that's trying to separate the writer from the director. So when you're working with material like the screenwriters that he's had, uh, you know, plays by Tennessee Williams, He's very, very good. The one time he directed his own book, The Arrangement, was, I'm going to say it, very, very bad. So uh, just for how much I personally enjoyed Lost in Translation, and I haven't seen Godfather 3 on purpose, uh, I think I can (laughs) live with myself if I vote for Sofia Coppola. Mike? Um, I, uh, this is, this is actually kind of tough. I like, I like Sofia Coppola a lot. Um, I've been quite entertained by her movies. I think she has a a bright uh, career ahead of her. However, uh, Ilya Kazan uh, had a bright career, a very long career, very distinguished career. Um, Yeah, you know, you can say that it was Tennessee Williams that made Streetcar Named Desire, but on the other hand, in the hands of a bad director, they could have fucked it up. We've seen many, many great plays mangled uh, when translated to film. So uh, I think uh, I think he deserves it uh, for for that. I mean, I, I Sophia is a great choice, and you know, if you were really looking for a lady, I'd have given you Catherine Bigelow. I definitely would have gone that way, but uh, but no, I think we'll go with uh, Kazan, especially because that sounds like a great supervillain name, and we haven't had enough mockery <laughs> or comedy on this episode yet. 
Kazan takes the win. And we're on to a vote for Coppola is a vote for nepotism. Apparently. This means this means we're not going to get Bergman or Tarkovsky or Kuzlevsky or Antonioni. <laughs> uh, probably not. Or other people with no vowels in their name. Because <laughs> I just I just said all of those names, and uh, no, that's not what I picked yet. I, I I wrote one down, but I could change it. But we're on to our next fight, Paul. This one really? is yours. It is Paul Thomas Anderson, PT Anderson versus Martin Scorsese or Sezi. It's that's uh, a tough one for Anderson, man. I mean, if Scorsese made one film and it was uh, Mean Streets or Goodfellas uh, or The Departed <laughs> or Casino, he'd be in trouble. The problem is Scorsese made all of them. So Scorsese <laughs> has to go. A uh, vote for Scorsese. Uh, Jeremy. Well, I, I chose Pete Anderson, and I was not pleased when I saw this <laughs> first round uh, seed. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I, these guys are amazing, both, both directors. I mean, Scorsese, probably the best, you know, mob director, uh, movies about the mob and stuff like that, Goodfellas and Casino and all that good stuff. Um, I'm going to vote for P.T. Anderson because uh, he's probably, uh, it might be my favorite director uh, today. Um, I just think he uh, just makes incredible movies. And uh, I feel like there's really no uh, no other person that kind of, uh, that's living today at least, that kind of puts in the uh, the amount of uh, work and, and attention to detail uh, that, that he does. Um, and his movies uh, just again, resonate more with me, uh, more, uh, you know, as a, strictly as just someone that appreciates film. Scorsese movies are a lot of fun, uh, and, and even the, the earlier ones that are more serious, uh, they're, you know, they're really great and gritty, but, you know, for me, P.T. Anderson is the way to go. Uh, vote for P.T. Anderson. Greg? Yeah, I can't wait to find out what people are going to say about Scorsese, Scorsese movies 25, 35 years from now. Because even with films that we've been talking about for almost 40 years, like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, I still feel like there's there's more to say, there's more to be said about them. Um, I would compare the Anderson films to you know, almost like a painting. They've got that level of craftsmanship. They're beautiful to watch. And I just don't know if 25 years from now, I'm going to be wondering what the newest set of film critics were saying about the movies that he's made. But I know I'll be wondering about what the newest set of film critics have to say about Scorsese. Scorsese. Mike. Uh, all I have to say is fuck P.T. Anderson. Fuck him. Fuck him. He was almost banned from this show. Martin Scorsese. How did you almost ban him from the... Hey, okay, so a vote for Scorsese. Uh, Christy? Wow. Yeah, I want to know what's behind this. Well, anyway. Um, this was really easy for me. Uh, I do enjoy Martin Scorsese. Um, but to me, personally, in this film, directors, all this stuff is super subjective. Please don't get angry. But to me, has only made one amazing film, and that's Taxi Driver. P.T. Anderson has only made a few films, and only two, in my opinion, were bad. 
but um, he keeps getting better and better, and he's still young and still making amazing things. And I mean, he went from Boogie Nights to Punch Drunk Love to There Will Be Blood, which was amazing. And I know a lot of people didn't like The Master, but I could have watched another hour of it. Um, I could have watched two hour, 90 minutes of just that opening scene with the, the ocean with that awesome soundtrack. Um, but yeah, oh well. A vote for Paul Thomas Anderson, but Martin Scorsese, the guy who directed The Departed, which is a remake of a Chinese film by Andy Lau, which was fucking amazing. No, I'm joking. Uh, Scorsese is moving on, but that is true. Uh, we're on to our next fight. Jeremy, this one is yours. It is Vanna Hazog versus Terry Gilliam. Well, this is another uh, one that I was like cursing about because i these are both guys that i I also really dig um uh herzog i actually i've seen i've seen a whole bunch of his movies um i actually am much more of a fan of his more recent work his documentaries to me are better than his films um i maybe i'm in the minority there i'm not sure but they're just so compelling and and he just knows how to get his like the subjects that he's that he chooses it's always a, a similar theme in his movies as man versus nature and uh pitting you know man versus this un, unbeatable uh you know foe in nature it's just always and seeing him fail all the time it's just such a amazing subject matter um but the films of uh terry gilliam um are just um they're so bizarre and and beautiful and and funny and creepy and 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 just iconic so i'm gonna have to go with terry gilliam a vote for terry gilliam greg i agree with you jeremy i think the documentary work of herzog is significantly better than than his fictional films um I hesitated to put Gilliam on this list because I knew in my heart I was just putting him on here because he's directed what probably is my favorite movie in Brazil. But then I jumped over, looked at the filmography, and realized, now back to back to back, this guy made Brazil and The Fisher King and 12 Monkeys, and then he's, you know, he's had some ups and downs since then. But to me, you put that together with a lot of the contributions he made to the television work for Monty Python, the opening segment of The Meaning of Life. Uh, yeah, to me, I... It's more than just Brazil for me, and it's Terry Gilliam. Uh, vote for Terry Gilliam. Oh, man, I just realized. Oh, but uh, Mike. I, w- I will make the short but sweet and also vote for Terry Gilliam. Christy. I can't believe Werner Herzog is not going on, but Dreyer and and Buñuel and Kazan are, and Karis Maki. Uh well, this was really easy for me. I do really love Terry Gilliam. I've talked about him before in a previous podcast we've done. Um, Fear and Loathing, when it is actually trying to be funny, is like the funniest fucking shit I've ever seen. Um, Herzog has this... <sighs> he has like lives in this ethereal world uh, in his film and in real life, it fucking seems, I mean, I know it's a lot, of a character, a persona that he has developed over the years, but, um, Enigma of Casper Hauser is probably my favorite. Strazek, Wojcik, Aguirre, Fitzgeraldo. Um, and if you like his new documentaries, you should check out like land of silence and darkness, which is 
just the telling of the the story of this blind deaf German woman and how she deals with her life and what she's done with it. It's probably my favorite of anything that he's ever done. Um, and I think what's really funny about these two put together um, is that they both have the ability to reach this higher plane of art than anyone else who's making film seriously, but they both know how to fuck it up. <laughs> and the advantage that I feel like Herzog has over Gilliam is that um, even to this day, he's he's kind of using his cult fame to make more Werner films that are just him. Like nobody else make, is gonna make my uh, my son, my son. What have you done? And and fucking um, bad lieutenant. Like who's gonna make that? That's like the funniest shit I've ever seen. And it it's so him at the same time. It's so strange. Um, but um, that was a vote for Herzog. A vote for Werner Herzog and Paul. Well, when it comes down to Werner Herzog, I was tempted for Werner Herzog because of his uh, the split between um, fictional film and documentary. I thought that is definitely necessary in this competition. However, um, the fact that he is Werner Herzog does not really stand up to for me to like a casting like Monty Python and like, again, Brazil, uh, 12 monkeys and fear and loathing. Um, I have to go with what I prefer to see. And that's going to be Terry Gilliam. And Gilliam is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It is Darren Aronofsky versus James Cameron. Yeah. I know no matter what I do, I'm going to feel like I'm a bit of a traitor because I've got kind of a schizophrenic mind on all this. Part of me, yeah, you know, really, if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie right now, it's going to be a geek film. It's going to be, you know, something like The Abyss or Aliens. And, you know, part of me knows that I, I need to finish watching Black Swan and it's sitting up on my DVR and it's important to see it. But it tells me something about my feelings of Aronofsky that I appreciate him. But even where there's films Cameron's made that I haven't liked, I'm going to have to give it to James Cameron just for st- just for the stuff I want to watch on a Sunday afternoon, True Lies, The Abyss, Aliens, Terminator 2, it's James Cameron. Mike? Uh, yeah, I am, uh, I'm also going to vote for, for James Cameron. Um, I've liked uh, a good deal of, of Aronofsky stuff. Um, and uh, I actually haven't seen Black Swan, though. Uh, and, and James Cameron... Uh, you know, one there certainly for me has to be some at some point we get some some geek cred on this list, and, and he definitely does have that. Uh, I've enjoyed many of his movies. Uh, I think Terminator is still one of the the few really good time travel movies. Um, he also uh, has back to back highest grossing movies of all time, which is uh, is quite impressive and something no other director has done. And uh, while you know, that does not necessarily mean great artistic achievement. Uh, it does actually mean the director accomplished his job, which was selling a lot of tickets and uh, a voice for the public. Plus, I actually like Avatar. I know a lot of people don't. Um, 3D was good. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, let, let's give a little love to the guys who put the movies, put, put people's butts in the seats for a change on this list. It's not that pretentious, Mike. Uh, a vote for James Cameron. Uh, Christy. All right, this is where I get to piss people off. Okay, this is my rundown of 
<laughs> I already pissed you off. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is my rundown of James Cameron and Darren Aronofsky. I don't like either of them. I don't. Um, aliens, better than Aliens. I never saw any of the Terminator films until I was too old to care. Uh, Avatar was a mess, but it was fun. Um, Aronofsky, almost everything that he has done to me has been garbage. Requiem for a a Dream was exploitative. I hated it. I'm going to vote for Aronofsky because I did like Black Swan, and that's the only thing that I can say that I like about either of these people. Uh, Vote for Aronofsky. Paul? Well, um, yeah, I've seen Black Swan. I've seen Aronofsky films. Again, I sit those are the films I sit there and say, wow, that was a good film. However, James Cameron films are this, again, it's the Sunday afternoon thing. And, I mean, he did Piranha 2, The Spawning. The fish had fucking wings. That's a <laughs> visionary. James Cameron. God damn it. <laughs> oh, vote for James Cameron. <laughs> Jeremy. Well, since he's not moving on, I'm going to vote for uh, Aronofsky, who I really do like, and um, I can understand some of the criticism about his pretty graphic subject material, um, but uh, you really don't see one of his movies. You feel it, you experience it, and some people don't like that experience um, or that feeling. Uh, I actually think his best movie was one of his least seen movies, which is The Fountain. And I think that that is a, a masterpiece that many people panned and I feel didn't really give it a, a chance. But it's just an incredible uh, piece of filmmaking. And unfortunately, he's not moving on. But um, I just want to show my love. I'll vote for Aronofsky, one of the most depressing directors of all time. But James Cameron. It's moving on. We are on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Mike Lee versus David Zucker. Uh, this one's actually pretty easy for me. Uh, you know, I've already said uh, I, I have the, the preference for comedy. Um, David Zucker certainly was part of uh, defining a, a style of, of comedy that uh, eventually did become horribly annoying, I think. But uh, when you're first there, you you, you luck out and it doesn't... Uh, it hasn't been run into the ground. And and Mike Lee, it's kind of interesting. When I was looking up some of the people on here, I looked up Mike Lee and, and looked and the, I, I I remembered the name. I looked at the list and was like, oh wow, yeah, this guy's done a lot of, of great movies. But then as I looked closer, I was like, this guy's done a lot of movies that I I am often told are great, but in the end never really connected with me. Um whereas uh, I laugh my ass off at the uh, airplane. So that alone. Uh no the few, few movies are funnier than that. And making people laugh is a lot harder to do than what, what that many of the dramatic directors on this list can pull off. A vote for David Zucker. Christy. Mike Lay is primarily a comedy director as well. Nuts and May is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And since you like Woody Allen so much, Mike, I feel like you'd probably really like Mike Lay. Um, he has written some of the most funny films, most heartfelt dramas I've ever seen. He has this—he—he he does the whole like awkward futility of relationships kind of deal that's similar to Alan, but it's so—it's so different at the same time. And the way he puts together his movies is interesting. And if I tell you, you're probably going to be like, "Well, I don't think that's really directing," but 
Um, he's definitely a writer-director, but this is how he works. He chooses the actors he wants to work with, and then they kind of workship, workshop together and develop the characters in depth. And he definitely is in charge, and he definitely chooses what goes on, writer-director, editor. Um, but they kind of develop the stories and characters together. And, gosh, um, Abigail's Party, if you haven't seen, I guess that's, I mean, it's comedic. He did a bunch of, like, television shorts. They're kind of like um, these, uh, I guess, I guess that, television shorts. Um, he's a British filmmaker, so all this stuff is aired over there. I don't know about here. But you can buy them in box sets, and you should. Um, Abigail's Party it has, like, is so unexpectedly dramatic and disturbing um naked he's probably most known for that's starring david thewlis from harry potter there's a geek some geek cred there um but i went to go see another year which came out a few years ago um and i wasn't expecting anything like i love mike lay but i wasn't really expecting it to be great and it's it's absolutely his best film he's ever made and that is amazing that he's still going he's fucking 70 and he's still making beautiful amazing heartfelt real and funny film so mike lay uh vote for mike lay paul well this contest comes down to one crucially important question to me and that's do you like gladiator movies? And I have to go with David Zucker. A vote for David Zucker. Jeremy. Um, I've only seen uh, Naked, which I thought was awesome. And I think basically because it was David Thewlis's performance that just, I mean, the guy was just uh, uh, like tour de force in that, in that movie. But um, I'm really not familiar with much of his other stuff i've tried to watch a couple of his movies but i feel with mike lee i get that he's funny and he's making comedies but i feel like you have to be english to understand the humor um it's it's just my personal uh view on on the humor it just doesn't connect with me um if i can't really understand the language and the slang and the the tense of the how they speak and you know Dick Cockney accents and kind of get in the way of that. Um, Zucker directed Naked Gun, Basketball, um, Airplane. I mean, those movies are gut-bustingly funny, probably because, you know, they're in American accents and they're completely ridiculous and zany and, you know, stupid. But, you know, using the Sunday morning argument, I guess, if I had to pick a comedy, I would pick one that connects with me on a more cultural level. So, um, vote for David Zucker and Greg. I agree with everything Jeremy said. The only thing I'd put on it is a little bit of a spin is that both of these are comedians. It's just a different kind of comedy. And I'm going to do the same thing I did earlier and cast a vote for the film that, uh, for the director I haven't seen any movies from. In this case, I can do it safely and easily because Mike Lee's not moving through. But uh, sympathy vote for Mike Lee. He's a director I need to watch. But David Zucker is moving on to get crushed in the next round by David Cameron, most likely. We are on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is Francis Ford Coppola versus Quentin Tarantino. 
All right. I'm not much of a Tarantino fan. It might be because I am a woman. <laughs> um, because, it, I mean, it, they're fun, but it's like super male ego. It's just not my thing. Um, he comes across as a sincere filmmaker, um, but also it's like he can't decide whether he wants you to take it seriously or not, and it really throws me out of the movie. Um Francis Ford Coppola has already gotten lots of love on this podcast with The Godfathers 1 and 2 and the conversation. But I'll just say I'm voting for Coppola because Rumblefish is like if Tom Waits made Rebel Without a Cause. And that's kind of cool. Uh, vote for Coppola. Paul. Oh, this, this is a bitter one right here. Um, without... Francis Ford Coppola, there would not be a Quentin Tarantino. And what I appreciate most about Quentin Tarantino's films are not so much his skill as a director as much as what he did as a writer and almost a producer in the fact that it's, it, it's the music, it's the dialogue, which is not the purview of the director. And as much as I love watching his films, um, if you look at what's going on behind the camera, I think that's everything that Coppola does is you, you see, you feel where he's going, but you don't see him. Coppola, you or uh, Quentin Tarantino, you see him everywhere. And I think that's what makes a better director. So Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, vote for Coppola. Jeremy. Um, I, I agree. Um, you know, uh, I think Tarantino pretty much wouldn't exist without Coppola and a few of the directors. Um, I did pick him and I knew he would be contentious. I do love his movies. Uh, I think they're just a blast and they definitely are, you know, super male ego. I will agree with that, Christy. That's uh, pretty spot on. I mean, pretty much everything is about, <laughs> you know, sword fighting, which is uh, an extension of the penis. So, um, why don't, uh, but my point about Coppola is um, he just, I mean, the, the opening scene in the conversation might be one of the greatest opening scenes in cinema history. Just this incredible, I mean, I don't even know how he, how he did that scene. I just, it was just so uh, uh, breathtaking, um, uh, you know, but I'm going to have to vote for Coppola. Uh, vote for Coppola. Uh, Greg. Um, yeah, Quentin Tarantino has probably written the funniest line of dialogue in either of these, you know, two, you know, directors, you know, sets. In fact, you know, for me, what may be the more the more quotable single line. But the problem is that movies like The Godfather, The Godfather Two, and even Apocalypse Now are are walking quote fests. I'm very unlikely to drop a line of, of Tarantino dialogue into a business meeting to to try to make a case and make a sale, but. Copeland, it happens almost without realizing it. And since somebody like Sidney Lumet didn't make it through in terms of representing that feel of the 1970s, certainly Coppola is a worthy substitute to represent uh, what happened in American cinema, in particular at that time. Coppola. Uh, vote for Coppola. Uh, Mike. What everyone else said. Really? You weren't going to vote for Tarantino? Nope. Oh. Huh. I mean, I, I, I like Tarantino a great deal. I mean, I, I guess I could vote for him just so someone could say a little bit more about him. Um, I've I've enjoyed uh, 
many of his works. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's up against uh, Francis Ford Coppola, whose praises I have sung, you know, infinite number of times on this show. Uh, that, I mean, if I could only put one name on this, probably would have been him because, uh, because he's done so much kind of crappy work lately. People tend to forget how good he was back then. And he was, he was the best, at least one of them, maybe the best. We'll, right. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coppola is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Paul, this one is yours. It is Mel Brooks versus Federico Fellini. Paul, did you die? Did I die? I'm not dead, am I? That would be wild if you died Hello? and then you, okay. you, for you, hell was hosting the show. Hello? <laughs> yeah, Paul, we can hear you. Okay. I, I didn't know what happened there. I'm sorry. All right. Um, all I know is the sheriff is near and his name is Mel Brooks. So Mel Brooks, it is. I'll vote for Mel Brooks. Jeremy. Yep. Mel Brooks. Uh, I don't really like Fellini. I think a lot of his movies are overrated. Uh, you know, I like laughing and Mel Brooks makes me laugh. Uh, Greg. Uh, I'm going to cast a sentimental vote for Fellini. When I was first watching films and watching foreign films, everybody in my family thought I was certifiably insane. And it was Fellini was the first film director that I was watching on, I guess it must have been Night Flight back then on USA or A&E, one of the channels showing you know, classic international cinema, that actually got my parents to sit down and watch a movie with me. And he's made much, much worse films than he did when he was putting out things like Eight and a Half and La Dolce Vita. But uh, he introduced me to Anita Ekberg, and I'll be forever grateful for that alone. Fellini. Uh, vote for Fellini. Mike. Uh, Fellini is a, a great director. He's brought us many wonderful things, but he did not bring us springtime for Hitler. Mel Brooks. Always voting for the Nazi. And Christy. I will be voting for Fellini. Surprise. But in all seriousness, he introduced dream language or dream language to film um, properly. Like everything is always moving and never stops. It's all fluid. And most of his movies are like a party. Everything is, uh, there's always music. The music never stops. Everybody's out. There's always like a lot of people. Everyone's always having fun. I mean, that's not what all the movies are about, but um, why wouldn't you enjoy that? A black sheriff. Uh, one out. Uh, Mel Brooks is moving on. <laughs> Isn't the sheriff a Nick? Yeah, I love that. The sheriff's a Nick. Anyway, we're on to our next fight. Uh, Jeremy, this one is yours. It is Steven Spielberg versus Miyazaki. I don't know how to say his first name, but I know his last name is Miyazaki. Um, this is uh, really tough. Um, these are both incredibly uh, inventive and um, fun and, and, and wonderful directors. Um, certainly the case for Spielberg, you know, is enormous. I mean, he's just made so many iconic movies. Um, and, you know, I feel like if I did vote for him, you know, I would be doing myself a disservice because, um, I feel that Miyazaki is actually kind of like the Japanese version of Steven Spielberg, but for animation. I just think that Spielberg 
has so many great ideas about how things should, how sets should look and how, uh, you know, um, movies should just be like just a blast, like you're on a roller coaster. And I feel that Miyazaki also has this, um, this great, uh, really fun, um, way of of making his films through and but doing animation obviously he's not a he didn't do any actual live action movies um so i'll be voting for miyazaki only because the his movies his animated movies are just so um just incredibly artistic and 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 wonderful and they almost have like a fairy tale um <clears throat> type feel to them and it's just I think, you know, and based on the, also the fact that Spielberg has made a lot of duds in his in his career, although the hits have been really great, a lot of duds. And I don't think I could ever say that about Miyazaki. I don't, I don't think I've seen a bad movie of his. So I'm going to vote for Miyazaki. Uh, vote for Miyazaki. Greg. It would feel like an incredible betrayal if I cast a vote for Miyazaki as the other director that I haven't seen one film all the way through from. But with him, I've seen enough to know kind of what I'm, you know, what what the quality is. And Spielberg, for all the great things he's done, and if he goes through, I'll say great things about him later. I don't like the sentimentality. I don't like the manipulation. Uh, it seems like he's the the director that we're all supposed to like. Sort of like you know, if you were somebody who wasn't a fan of Sinatra in the '50s and '60s, there'd be something wrong with you. So maybe there's something wrong with me because I just don't like being manipulated. And that's what I feel about a third of the time when I'm watching um, Spielberg movies. So I'll cast the vote for Miyazaki. Okay, uh, Mike, this is your one and only shot to get Spielberg to the next round. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm voting for Steven Spielberg. Um, you know, for me, there's there's this is coming down to like a a, a central issue right away, and that is really what defines a best director and what uh what is a director's purpose and you know right i was i was thinking this would be something near the end but you know steven spielberg threat almost being ready to be knocked out in round one for me is really coming down to that and we've seen this this whole fight spielberg is a director that does not get as much kind of academic acclaim uh certainly a, a good deal of, of critical acclaim but because of his genre roots, uh, had has been had been ignored by kind of traditional uh, critics for for a long time. Uh, I think he had to basically go to the Holocaust to get people to stop holding, uh, making huge amounts of money and entertaining lots of people against him. I think he's a brilliant director. I think he is in, in terms of of the skill and the craft that he has honed over all this time. Even though he's made movies that have been duds, uh, they've they've been executed at an incredible ability. Uh, he can bring out performances in actors that a lot a lot of directors really can't. Um, I you know everybody hates on Tom Cruise, but I actually think he's gotten good performances out. Or I mean, it, several times. Um, I, I think that it's easy to overlook directors like Spielberg um, because. One of the reasons he's done a lot of duds is because he has been so prolific. Um, but even, you know, the duds may be bad, but you've got stuff like Jurassic Park and, and Schindler's List, you know, pretty much back to back. And and let's just face it, realistically, 
he's one of the great geek directors and if it was not for him we would not have this show uh, i will invoke the form b corollary no steven spielberg no geek fights uh, vote for Spielberg. Christy. I am so sorry, Mike. But, um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate Spielberg. He makes some of the best chase movies ever. Like, almost everything. And, and you were just talking about how, you know, Schindler's List is breaking him out of the, the basically, the chase movies. Jurassic Park, Temple of Doom, Minority Report. All, I mean, War of the Worlds, everything's a chase movie. Um, E.T. is even a chase movie. Um, it's just not my cup of tea. I don't like the big Hollywood, like new Hollywood. Um, like giant, um, sorry, giant like film scores that totally... Like, it doesn't matter even what's going on on the screen. That score is going to manipulate you. It's going to tell you what you're supposed to be thinking because I think that what is going on the screen isn't powerful enough. Um, and um, what you're talking about, about the definition of a director, Hayao Miyazaki, he's one of my favorite artists ever, but absolutely everything is ripped out of his imagination. He does, I mean, he designs the characters, the sets. He... He does all of the storyboards. He animates, like seriously animates, even the in-between animations. He's animating almost the entire film. Yes, there are people that work for him, but everything is his. He's not relying on casting, set designers, prop masters, costume designers. Like everything is absolutely out of his brain. I can't think of anybody who can be more directing of what, you know, they're making than him. Um, and He's touched in all different types of movies. Um, Nausicaa was basically his Star Wars. Um, Castle in the Sky is what every 16-bit RPG was based on. Like, I mean, that kind of story. And, you know, it just gets better and better from there. Um, yeah, he um, sometimes can get a little lost um, in his narration, in his narrative. Um but it is all absolutely from him. Even the stuff that's coming out of Studio Ghibli that's not directed by him feels like him if he's had his hand in it. Um, and I think that deserves to go on more so than Steven Spielberg, and I'm so sorry. Uh, vote for Miyazaki and Paul. Well, this might be, you know, a day late and a dollar short. Christy, uh, that was a great argument um, for Miyazaki. I it was excellent, but the point you made about him in that everything comes out of his imagination, and yes, he, it's easy to direct what comes out of your imagination. You control every single aspect of it. Steven Spielberg, however, must control what actors do, what art directors do, what all these other aspects do, as opposed to dictating to animators what appears on your screen. And I think Spielberg has to contend with so many more challenges in that aspect because you've got, you've got producers trying to do things. You've got actors trying to do things. Um, you've got, there, there's so many more just variables in place that you must direct, which is the essence of this contest, which is what you direct. And 
he has to pull the strings on so many things. And he's been, yes, he's had misfires, but over the length of his career, the successes he's had, I mean, going back to Jaws, Close Encounters, the, the Indiana Jones stuff, uh, color purple. I mean, he's, he's just gone back and forth. Um, yes, some of it's really schmaltzy, but it, he he's touched a lot of people. And I think what sort of cements it for me for Steven Spielberg was a documentary I saw over the weekend that he basically had to retool Jaws as the director based on the fact that the shark would not do what they wanted it to do. He needed to make stuff up on the fly to compensate for the fact that what he saw in his head was not going to be realized in the medium he was doing. An animator, that's not even a consideration. What you see is what happens because you told someone to draw it. So I'll say Steven Spielberg and, you know, that'll be that. A vote for Steven Spielberg. Wow. Spielberg is going down the first fucking round. And he didn't make any duds, by the way. Uh, there are movies that you like less than others, but Spielberg, more often, as a matter of fact, there's only one bad Spielberg movie that's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, otherwise, uh, Empire of the Sun, Amistad, Schindler's List. 1942? 1941. Isn't it 1941? 41, yeah. that's right. Munich. 1941. Terminal. Like, every fucking Spielberg movie, I can watch it. I find it in, 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 oh, inherently watchable. You fuckers are putting Miyazaki through. Hang on a second. What? Hang on a second. There is a made-for-TV angle here that we haven't explored yet. (laughs) I love ABC's TV movie of the week. And if anybody on the panel is as old as I am, I think you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, ABC. No, Duel. Oh yeah. ABC came along and said, we're going to do something really audacious. We're going to make our own damn movies. Fuck off, Hollywood. We're going to put them on once a week. We're going to use a low budget. We're going to use up-and-coming talent that hasn't proven itself yet. And we're going to put these things out and change the genre, have no through line of characters whatsoever. And that series went on for at least six years. Producing Dennis as Weaver anything, one? A Dennis Weaver one was directed by Steven Spielberg. Yes. That, that the truck? Yeah. Yeah, all right, I remember that. I'm going to change my vote to Spielberg. I'm going to change my vote to Spielberg. Spielberg, I I, I was saying before this, I was like, God damn it, Spielberg needs to be in the finals because of all this stuff he's done. Thank God he made it out of the first fucking round by the skin of his goddamn teeth. I'll vote against him later. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, we know we know how this this episode's heading. Yeah, we know that. Uh, And we're at our last fight of the first round. Spielberg is moving on. Uh, It is Robert Zemeckis versus my unknown pick. And uh, yeah, I was gonna go John Singletary. I was gonna go Robert Rodriguez. I almost I almost put Tyler Perry in that motherfucker. Please, please. but, but. as a Medina gets you, to the second round. As a fuck you to all of you, I am putting Michael Bay on this <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yes. He puts asses in the seats, and he has great explosions, and his movies are fucking fun. They might be stupid, but they're fun. 
I'm putting Michael Bay on best director. Fuck all of you. Um, Craig, that's yours. Let's say, let it be me. It's got to be me for this one, right? So we have a chance of having a Michael Bay versus Steven Spielberg situation. We have a shot at, at, at even one of those two guys versus James Cameron in the final four. That's crazy. It's just as tempting, though, to put teacher and student together. And I prefer uh, Robert Zemeckis. Um, just for Back to the Future alone, he, he, he's going to take my vote. Uh, vote for Zemeckis. Mike. Yeah, do you remember that part where uh where Greg just said back to the future alone would make him uh get his vote? Uh I'll repeat that and pretty much everything else he said. What? Not Michael Bay? Oh, and the same thing, I would love Michael Bay versus Steven Spielberg in the next round, especially because then at least Spielberg has one more round. But <laughs> but you know, Zemeckis, I don't want him to go out uh just for a joke. Uh okay. A vote for... Although a no really effect. good joke could sway me. Uh, Christy? Oh, that's pressure. I really don't care um, <laughs> <laughs> about either of these at all. If I had to watch anything from either of them right now at 11.41 p.m. on Eastern Time, I would probably watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I'll go with Zemeckis. No, Michael Bay love. Maybe I should turn it into Michael Mann. Uh, <laughs> vote for Zemeckis. Uh, Paul. Michael Mann contest would have been pretty good, actually. Um, you know, as far <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, as far as Zemeckis goes, all, I, I don't know much, but I know this. I have a friend who named their first son Jack and their second son Colton. And that's enough love for romancing the stone for me. So I'm going to go with Robert Zemeckis. Wow. <laughs> Jeremy. That is no bullshit either. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's a great movie. Um, Michael Bay uh, single-handedly ruined Transformers for me. So he can burn in hell. And 1.21 gigawatts is all you really got to say. So Zemeckis. Uh, vote for Zemeckis. And, and he didn't ruin Transformers for you. Uh, growing up and becoming an adult ruined Transformers for you. Go back and watch. It's horrible. Yeah, the Transformers oh, no, it, were just ruined all it's along. It's pretty bad. But um, basically, Transformers, the, the movie that Michael Bay directed, which is basically giant robots crashing into buildings for two hours. Yeah. You say and that it like it's a bad thing. Like, <laughs> you say it is. It's not. It's horrible. But uh, Robert Zemeckis is into the next round. And almost um, every sentence that begins with giant robots winds up being pretty good. <laughs> Even like giant robots having tea. You know, better than anything else having tea. I would watch that, I'll tell you. Anyway. Tim City the movie. We will be back uh, after... Michael, well, Michael might be, might be back. He might commit suicide. But uh, we'll be back after this short message from Jesus. Hmm, genius. Hi, I'm Michael Bay, director of Hollywood hits such as Transformers. And I demand things to be awesome. Awesome pussycat. Awesome house, awesome yard. Awesome barbecue, awesome pole. That's why I'm getting Verizon files. With the awesomeness upload and download speeds. Isn't that right, awesome Verizon guy? Yes, sir. Blows cable away. And you know what the word for that is? Awesome? Bingo. 
Introducing upload speeds over 1,000% faster than cable. Come on, I got something cool to blow up in the back here. Let's go. Come on. Yes, sir. This is fiber optic straight to your door. This is BIOS. This is big. Do kids live in your house? Are you responsible for entertaining them once in a while? Or would you just like some peace and quiet for 90 minutes while sharing your love of good film? Childhood is too short to watch crappy movies, so tune into the Horror Palace's Parental Advisory. This bi-weekly podcast reviews movies with horror and mystical themes that were made for kids or are grown-up movies that kids would like. We even review movies that adults might think are for kids, but no, not so much. From the mandatory shot to the breakaway song, your hosts Igor and Frankie's Bride offer their reviews and parental expertise to both classic and contemporary films. So check out the Horror Palace's Parental Advisory. You can find our podcast at www.horrorpalace.com. Click on Audio Podcasts and then Parental Advisory. You know your kids. We know movies. Brian from Motu. You can find more information about us at www.motu.com. And you're listening to Geek Fights. It's the longest time I've ever seen us go without using the word fuck. I, mean, I said it a lot. Like I said I dropped no, not too. until, but we're in the second half of that before anyone really started saying fuck. So. <laughs> there are people that are turning out left and right. We might have to drop those in there yeah. post-production. Right. Everyone use fuck at least once in each matchup. <laughs> That's the rule. No fucking problem. All right. And we're back doing what we do every goddamn week of the goddamn motherfucking year. Coming at you with Jared Formby, trademark geek cred. Uh, Jeremy, what's your geek cred? Um, I'm basically an all-around kind of geek. I like uh, the comic books. I love the movies, TV shows, um, anime, manga, you name it. Um, you know, been following the podcast for a while, and uh, I dig it when I, you guys invite me on. Thank you very much. Uh, Christy? Um, well... I don't really have anything to say. I've been on a lot, <laughs> I guess. Not really, actually. I've been on some. I like the internet. There you go. There we go. Uh, Paul Kowalski. Uh, I guess mine's more the comic book horror film geek cred, which is really not availing me too well on this battle. But, you know, I'm trying to hold my own. You sound much more intelligent than I would have. Um, you good. You're doing good. <laughs> Better than me. Uh, Greg, what is your geek cred, sir? I'm the kind of guy who would probably sit, well, actually have sat and read a uh, like a Ebert or a Malton or a Stanley Kaufman book of reviews cover to cover. Um, and, you know, I watched a ton of movies from a ton of different genres and languages and eras and all that. And, and, uh, and from time to time, we'll give shout outs to those people who've influenced me, including directors, ones like Hitchcock and Cohen and Boonwell and Gilliam. So, yeah, I'm obsessed. Thank you very much. Inappropriate conversations. <laughs> well, you know, I, I give those shout outs because on, on my podcast, Inappropriate Conversations, every week I'll name a different drummer. Somebody who not only marches to the beat of, the dr of a different drummer, but sets the music for the rest of us. And, and more than just a handful of times, those have been movie directors. And 
And the guys we're talking about in this geek fighter are, are the ones that are there, the Gilliams and the Cohens and the and the Boonwells of the world. www.inappropriateconversations.org. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Let's get back into these fights. Let's talk about two people you don't care about. Uh, it is Akira Kurosawa and uh, Aki Kurismaki. Uh, uh, let's see. I have seen. Uh, Kurosawa movies. I have not seen Aki Karizmaki movies. And when I first saw that name on the list, I thought somebody was putting Akira Kurosari and just spelled it wrong. Wow. Uh, uh, vote for Kurosawa. <laughs> um, Christy. That is awesome. Like, if you look at it, because I have them right next to each other now, they are strikingly similar. And I put them both on the list, and they were probably right up against each other. I didn't notice that. Um, I am going to vote for Kurosamaki just because Kurosawa is going to go through because none of you guys have seen any Kurosamaki. Um, go watch. Oh, he's uh, uh, super influenced by Brisson. Um, um, most known for Man Without a Past. Go see uh, Shadows in Paradise, Master Factory Girl, Drifting Clouds is probably my favorite. Um so now you have some references that you can go look at, but he will not be moving on, unfortunately, for him. Okay. Maybe. Paul? Well, when faced with a decision like this, I have to fall back on one integral question is, what would Method Man do? And the fact that there are so many more samurai and Kurosawa movies, I'm going to have to go the Wu-Tang route and go with Akira Kurosawa. Uh, it makes sense to me, uh, Jeremy. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna also have to go with Kurosawa. I love samurai movies, and he makes some of the best ones um, around. Um, Rashomon, um, Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, which is basically um, uh, Macbeth. Uh, he adapted that. Um, the Hidden Fortress is actually uh, was the you know. Uh, Lucas took uh, the idea for Star Wars from it. Um, uh, just on and on and on. Um, actually, my favorite Kurosawa movie is um, not a samurai movie. It's this movie called Ikiru, which means to live. Um, and it's just this incredible story of a man who's faced with his own mortality. And it shifts the way that he um, views uh, his life and probably would be to some would probably find that boring compared to his other movies, but it's just, um, just a beautiful film. Um, and probably one of the, the more underrated, uh, Kurosawa movies out there. So, uh, I will end it there and, and vote for Kurosawa. Great. It really makes me sound shallow, man. I said, I thought the names were the same. I thought my Wu Tang analysis was really on point. Until that, I'm going to vote for the second K guy if that's cool. Paul, Paul, your Wu Tang, your Wu Tang analysis brought the motherfucking ruckus. I'm there with you all the way. Um, (laughs) I I've got to say the only time I've ever bought a box set of a director's films from Hong Kong without knowing for sure that there would even be English subtitles is Kurosawa, and I did it twice. It's Kurosawa. And Kurosawa is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is Carl Theodore Dreyer versus David Lynch. 
I will be voting for Danish filmmaker. Um, I talked about Passion of Joan of Arc earlier, so my favorite of his is Orday. Um, so go check that out. But um, he was super progressive. Like in the twenties, he he made a movie about a gay relationship. Um, Michael was the name of the film. But um, and okay, well I guess I will talk about Orday. It's um. It's a film that when you read the description, um, it's, it should be completely boring, but it's fascinating and it's funny and it's tragic and it's amazing. And Dreyer is the first filmmaker, I feel, that really plumbed the depths of darkness for beauty's sake. And he has some of the most amazing visual shots he was a perfectionist he had to have i mean it it, it's stark black and white composition and yes the films are black and white but there's a difference between just shooting on black and white film and having black and white compositions and i mean stuff to rival uh bergman like i'm specifically thinking of the scene in orday where their house is kind of in this little um depression and there's these stairs going up and when they walk up you see the the silhouette of the person against the sky. And it reminds me a lot of in Bergman's Virgin Spring where uh, Max von Sydow is like wrestling down a tree so he can purify himself. But it's that just wide open shot with this beautiful silhouette up against the sky doing something powerful. And um, you should vote for Dreyer, dudes. I'll vote for Dreyer, dudes. Uh, Paul? Uh, a, again, a great argument for Dreyer. I, I will freely admit I'm not particularly familiar, but I am familiar with David Lynch. And the first thing that I saw thought of when I saw Lynch on this list was the adjective unfilmable. And I don't know if there were... I mean, the first, un, the first unfilmable thing I was aware of was Dune. Anyone who read Dune would say that's unfilmable. You cannot put that on a screen and have it do any justice. Some of the people who saw the movie would say the same thing. Yeah, that's probably true as well. Uh, I was not one of those people, though. I thought he did an admirable job of filming Dune. Um, I sort of think of him almost in the same breath as Quentin Tarantino. I think a lot of people like to say they like him but they don't really do it. And I think Lynch, unlike Quentin Tarantino, pan- Quentin Tarantino panders to people who like him, whereas Lynch doesn't. I think Lynch goes beyond it and says, well, okay, you, you come with me this so far. Well, let's go over here. And I don't think a lot of the audience does that. He just, he, he goes where his muse takes him, wherever that is. Whether it was you know Eraserhead, whether it was Elephant Man, onto like the more brutal, you know, almost veering to what Quentin Tarantino later did was like Wild at Heart, and uh, not Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway. It's just these these bizarre things that still took people with him. I'm not going to get into Twin Peaks because that was basically television and that's not film, although, you know, he he had a hand in it as well. But I think uh, Lynch definitely needs to. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see a Lynch Kurosawa battle. So 
I'm, I'm going with him. Uh, vote for David Lynch. Uh, Jeremy. Well, again, like I said before, I've really only seen Passion uh, of uh, the jo- of Joan of Arc, and although it was re- very beautiful, um, I've seen all of David Lynch's movies, and although I could not stand his most recent one, Inland Empire, um, most of the other ones I do love uh, with the Passion, um, no pun intended. Um, wow. Lynch all the way. Uh, vote for Lynch. Greg. I'm going to vote for David Lynch, but I'm, I'm going to do it mainly because Dreyer is not my favorite Danish director. And this, of course, begs the question of whether Lynch is my favorite American director. He's not. But I think that Lynch did something with Twin Peaks that changes the way television is made. And you know, for that, yeah, I will give him credit for the TV and the through line from that into Fire Walk With Me and Blue Velvet. Yeah, there's enough there for me to say that I respect Dreyer, but um, I, I prefer a few other Danish directors more. Lynch. A vote for David Lynch. I couldn't name a, a Danish director, and there's one on the list and you've just been talking about. <laughs> so the fact that you have a few others is amazing. Um, Mike. You know, in the last round, I voted for uh, Dreyer because um, I thought Joan of Arc would beat some bicycle thieves, but I think a sandworm would beat Joan of Arc, although I'd really like to see that fight. <laughs> it would look like the cover of a science fiction novel. A bad David one, Lynch. too. <laughs> David Lynch is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Paul, this one is yours. Oh, and it's easy, too. It's Stanley Kubrick versus the Coen brothers. Ah, oh, easy, huh? Um... All right. It's Kubrick is the person that I think I I should like. That's the person I should vote for. Um however when it comes down to things I enjoy and that I would watch multiple times, Kubrick's got a few on there, but the Cohen brothers just have a really unique flavor to them. And you know, H.I. McDonough, I can't, I can't argue with him. He, he was just trying to do right, even if that meant stealing a baby. So I'm going to go with the Coen brothers. Uh, vote for the Coen brothers. Jeremy. Oh, man. Tough. Real tough. Um, I, uh, I love the Coen brothers. Uh, more recent, more recent uh, stuff, not, not as much, but... Um, their stuff from the early eighties, as I said, into the nineties is just, uh, every movie was just hilarious and, and, and weird and, and, uh, so original. Um, and I, I actually feel that, uh, the big Lebowski, uh, might be the, the funniest movie ever made. Um, and it's probably one of the most quotable too. Um, but Kubrick, his, there's like, there's so much gravitas with Kubrick. Um, uh, 2001 is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, and um, uh, basically, um, it's just uh, it's mind-boggling how he managed to make that um, with everything that was thrown at him. Uh, but I'm gonna have to vote for Kubrick. Uh, vote for Kubrick, Greg. So even with the films that the Coen Brothers have made lately, that may 
you know, feel like they're a little bit flat compared to things like Fargo and the Big Lebowski. You know, these guys are so subversive and they get away with it by being subversive in ways that no one even actually calls them on. I mean, a serious man was basically an effort to put the Heisenberg principle on the screen in a fictional film. In The Man Who Wasn't There, he shoots a movie where the principal character is a latent homosexual, but they never put that out there in the media. Uh, the actor didn't realize he was playing a homosexual. The movie runs end to end with film critics. Most of them, it's not even divided. You can only find a handful of film critics in the world who picked up on it. And in No Country for Old Men, they basically took the Hollywood production code of the 1940s and 50s and subverted it so completely that by giving us a movie that doesn't end with a big shootout and with the good guys winning and riding off into the sunset, um, basically showed us everything that we care about from that old production code and just subverted it in such a way that a lot of people who love the Coen brothers can't stand the ending of No Country for Old Men and may not realize the reason they don't like it is because everything we hate about how saccharine and sanitary Hollywood was in the 40s and 50s is what they were sort of putting it on the screen and rubbing in our face by letting the bad guy win and completely emasculating the, uh, the hero at the end of the show. So for me, the Coen brothers, for the things they get away with, including things we may not even realize they're getting away with, there may be things we look back on on stuff like uh, Blood Simple and find things in there that we're, we're not even looking for today. Coen's. Uh, vote for the Coen brothers. Mike. This one is brutal. And, uh, and you know, the, the things going back and forth so far have, have made me kind of bounce around on this. Um. I think I'm I'm going to go with Kubrick. Uh, the Coen brothers, I, I actually enjoy a lot of their later movies um, as well as the earlier movies. And and they've also done a great variety and, and certainly they've done a, com, a lot of comedy, but uh, Kubrick is, is, is somehow both a chameleon and not, I mean, he can do so many different types of things and do them well but there's always a thread of, of him in it. And I know, you know, we had mentioned before that holding that against Tarantino. Um, but I think it's less obvious here. It's not a, Hey, look at me. It's just something that's kind of woven into the DNA of the movies. Um, when I think, I mean, one of the ways that I, I look at this is, is what is my favorite of all of their stuff. And with the Coen brothers, it's big Lebowski and with Kubrick, it's 2001. And when I really compare those two and ask myself, which, which one would I sit down and watch right now? It's the big Lebowski, but that's because there's a lot of dope smoking in it. Uh, but if you smoke dope and watch the end of 2001, it's actually a much better ride. So, uh, 2001. That's a vote for Kubrick. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Christy, which one takes the win? Kubrick. I'll talk about it later. Stanley Kubrick is moving on. God, that was a difficult fight because I, I kind of lean to uh, Cohen Brothers, but Kubrick is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Jeremy, this one is yours. It's uh, what is Bunel versus Kazar or whatever. I can't pronounce Oh, my God. Hey, I'm tired. I can't pronounce their names. Fuck you, people. <laughs> You're going to get that um, guy pissed off again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I'm going to vote for Bunel because... Uh, Unshi and Andalou um, freaked the crap out of me, and I never want anyone to come near my eye ever again. So, Bunyao. 
So you, you just close your eyes and then they won't come in your eyes. Um, <laughs> Greg. And no, we don't have that, Paul. <laughs> um, all right. Kazan did not get himself in trouble with the House Un-American you know, Activities Committee, mainly because he named names. And he continued to find work valiantly in Hollywood and in a lot of ways sewing into the threads of his films kind of criticisms and attacks for how he felt he was treated by doing what he had to do. I don't think it's ever been resolved whether he was actually a true believer in the anti-communist cause, but yeah, he may have made a, if he didn't make a, the wrong choice there, he certainly made um, an easier out for a difficult choice. He took an easy way out. Bunuel has been kicked out of more countries than he's worked in, seemingly. He had to flee France because of uh, the movie La Jador, uh, and basically a film that was banned there for 60 years. He was uh, asked to leave the United States, even though he was working uh, for the U.S. government in their anti-propaganda film movement, because his friend Salvador Dali revealed that he was an atheist, and for that reason he got blacklisted and had to leave the country. He never got kicked out of Mexico, but while he was working in Mexico, he did get kicked out of Spain for the second time. This is a subversive film director who's got the scars to sort of show for it, he is the only film director who has, who's ever been put on both of these two lists simultaneously. His films are on the Vatican list of movies that every Catholic should see. And his movies are also on the Vatican list of films that no Catholic should ever see, lest their soul be in eternal peril. Bunuel. All right. Uh, Mike. I really feel bad following that up with I'm voting for Ilya Kazan because uh, his name sounds like a supervillain. So I will at least uh, have to mention he he is still, in fact, a, a great director. Yeah, and I, I other than on uh, Shenandelu, I don't really know anything else about Brunel. But uh, really, the joke is what put it over the top. <laughs> uh, Christy, how are you going to save Paul here? This is really, really, really hard for me. I love Elia Kazan. A Face in the Crowd is one of my favorite films ever, but. It was expressed earlier of how do you, uh, this was another Bud Schulberg collaboration. Um, and yes, they worked together in creating the story. It wasn't just a Bud Schulberg screenplay and then it got handed off to Kazan. They worked together. But um, Buniel is an individual. Um, and uh, I'll just talk about Verdiana, not actually even the movie, but the whole thing, like long exiled from Spain. They finally decided to let him come back, and they're like, hey, Buñuel, make whatever film you want to. So he made Veridiana, which was super highly critical of the Vatican, and immediately the negatives were burned. The only way it survived was that a couple copies were sent to France to uh, to Cannes, and it won Palme d'Or that year. Um, and it wasn't released until 16 years later in Spain. Um, and, you know, yes, he's surrealist, but it's not like it, it. most of his films don't, they all have narrative. Um, Obscure Object of Desire is hilariously infuriating uh, about a filthy old married dude trying to fuck his new squeeze. And um, she's always pushing him away and torturing him. And seriously, you're like tearing your hair out as you're watching this. And you're you're rooting for the guy, but you really don't like either of them. They're both terrible people. Um, and 
he just has a way of really knowing people. Like there's no, I mean, he's scathing um, to every walk of society, but um, he's a good socialist. <laughs> I'll vote for Buñuel. Paul got saved there. Paul? All right. I completely miss, I have no idea what the vote track is right now. It's not tied, so you don't have to worry about it. Oh, good. All right. Uh, all right. Well, then I will go with my personal politics and, like, sort of piss on Kazan for uh, sort of feeding to the House Un-American Activities Committee and ratting on people. And, you know, I, no one likes a rat, so let's go with Buñuel. I guess he was a supervillain. Buñuel is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It's Martin Scorsese versus Terry Gilliam. I'll make this short and sweet. Uh, my respect for, for Scorsese is unchallenged, but Brazil is the single greatest indictment of torture that has ever been put on film. Uh, if it was just that one movie versus Scorsese, I would still vote for Brazil. The entire film happens in one minute, 8.59 p.m., somewhere in the 20th century. And if you can get past the neo-surrealism, if you can get past what feels like a bait and switch, what you're watching is the systematic inner workings of a brain that is suffering from severe torture. Absolutely brilliant. Gilliam. Uh, vote for Gilliam. Mike. Um, th this is, is uh, definitely a, a tough one. Um, I have more Terry Gilliam movies in my DVD collection than any other single director. This was not by choice. This was not something that uh, I set out to do. This was not a collection the way that I've collected other things. It's just... When I look at me randomly selecting movies that I've liked enough to own, I put them all on the shelf. There's more Gilliam than there is Spielberg, which surprises me. There's more Gilliam than, than Ridley Scott. There's more uh, Gilliam than any other single director. And this was not because uh, I thought to myself, wow, he's a great director. It just turns out I like a lot of his movies so much I want to own them. And for me, that's pretty much a good sign that, uh, that he, he's the choice here. Uh, nothing against Scorsese. I love many of his movies. He's made some of the best movies ever, but uh, uh, only a few of them have actually made it to my personal DVD shelf. A vote for Gilliam. Christy. I will also vote for Gilliam. Paul. <laughs> I was expecting more time on that. Okay. Um, Basically, everything Mike said about Terry Gilliam, I will sort of go with Martin Scorsese. The movies on my shelf are the ones he has done. Um, again, going back, Mean, mean Streets, uh, Raging, all this stuff that Scorsese has put out there. Maybe Gilliam has had a couple highs that I would identify with. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I get fear, fear and loathing is one that that comes to mind most most readily to me. But everything else that Scorsese has done, uh, it's so difficult to argue with. That it's the body of work, and I mean, Scorsese has an enormous timeline that you just can't argue with. So Martin Scorsese. Sure. Paul. Paul, is uh, After Hours on your shelf? After Hours is not on my shelf, 
as of yet. It probably should be. Find a spot. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, Jeremy. Um, really, really, really hard. Um, I love both for different reasons. That's um, what she said. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess for me, it, it would, I, I kind of like fantastical worlds in general. Um, and Scorsese tends to play around in the more realistic and gritty worlds. Um, and although I do love taking a trip to those worlds, I find that when I watch a Terry Gilliam movie, um, I'm transported into his mind, wherever, you know, whatever world he's created. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just more fantastical and, 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 and can be very utterly brilliant, um, as in Brazil, um, and uh, the adventures of Baron Munchausen is uh, fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to vote for Gilliam. And Terry Gilliam is into the next round. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is James Cameron versus David Zucker. Uh, I will. Uh, I will stick with James Cameron. Um, the he's he's done a little bit more variety. I mean, Zucker's very very funny stuff. Uh, well, fuck it. Who am I kidding? Uh, Zucker. Don't call me Shirley. A uh, vote for Zucker. Christy. Uh, I don't care. Um, I guess James Cameron. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Vote for James Cameron. Paul. You know, this is going to be a proxy vote. Um, as Hey, I agree with don't call me Shirley. But any opportunity I have to potentially represent for the person who created the vampire movie that didn't reuse the word vampire in it, as well as uh, Fast and the Furious that didn't use cars and instead had surfboards, and then again did Hurt Locker. So as much as I wish Catherine Bigelow was on this list, I will cast my vote for David Zucker and don't call me Shirley. A uh, vote for David Zucker. Jeremy. Um, Space Marines. Cameron. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Greg. Which one's going to take the win? You know, almost all the talk about Zucker so far has been for airplane. And I agree with the idea that it's not going to, well, we're there already. Uh, at some point, the original airplane is going to lose its shine because of all the imitations and derivatives that have followed, including some that Zucker himself is responsible for. But Zucker is capable of putting together an incredibly good, straight, linear, you know, sort of storyline comedy. And to me, Ruthless People is my favorite of all of his works. And I mentioned Cameron in the last round as the, uh, the, person from those two that I'd be most likely to be putting on a movie if I was just trying to have a good time. Ruthless People probably is going to trump everything that Cameron's done for me from that perspective. Um, it's not as long, but it delivers just as much fun along the way. Zucker. Down goes Cameron. Holy shit balls. David Zucker is into the next round. We are on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It's Francis Ford Coppola. Versus Mel Brooks. 
Ooh, my favorite Mel Brooks movie almost didn't get made because he didn't want to make it, and he had to have fist fight with fucking Gene Wilder, and that was Young Frankenstein. So I'm going to vote for Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, vote for Francis Ford Coppola, Paul. Well, that movie did get made, and it was Young Frankenstein, and Mel Brooks was the captain behind that ship, along with uh, Twelve Chairs, Spaceballs. All these things. Um, oh man, no, that that was reactionary. I'm sorry. Now that I'm rethinking it, I can't. I can't leave Francis Ford Coppola out of out of this for Melbourne. As much as I appreciate his talents, Francis Ford Coppola. Jeremy. Just when I get out, they pull me back in. Coppola. Uh, another vote for Coppola. Greg. I'm going to let Terry Gar decide this one for me. Um, when she auditioned for Young Frankenstein, she read the script and realized that there was going to be a what knockers moment in the movie. And in order to get through the audition process, she stuffed her bra with socks. And from that point on, said she she felt like she probably needed to bring the socks with her at every future audition. Um, I've been a fan of hers since the Star Trek Assignment Earth episode. And she's appeared in films for both of these directors. She's been in a conversation in a small role, in one from the heart, in a, in a major role. But my heart lives with, uh, lives with young Frankenstein. So I'll cast what isn't even really a sympathy vote for Mel Brooks. Uh, vote for Mel Brooks, Mike. You know, uh, Terry Gar may have stuffed her bra, but Marlon Brando stuffed his cheeks. Godmother. Uh, uh, Coppola. <laughs> I like how you, uh, I don't even care that it was Coppola. It's Godfather, goddammit. Uh, a vote for Francis Ford Coppola. And Paul, despite yours, it's Spielberg versus Zemeckis. Well, when I was a little kid, I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of esteem for Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future, Romancing the Stone. But looking back, it, it's not even a contest. I mean, Spielberg has had hit after hit after hit, and it's not even hit. It's directors make movies that people want to see. That's that's what you want in a director. You want some people want a message. Some people want this. It's what, again, butts in the seats and Spielberg, you know, skates a great line between things that people love and, you know, just getting, getting emotions out of them. And so I'm going to say Spielberg. Uh, vote for Spielberg. Jeremy. I kind of, I think it's funny. This is the matchup. Cause I kind of feel like Zemeckis is just kind of like Spielberg light. In some in kind of a way, um, they both you know make really fun popcorn movies. Uh, I just think Spielberg's done more and done better ones. Um, he's yeah, he's he brings people to the theaters. Uh, you know, when you're watching a Spielberg movie, you're gonna get uh, get ready for a lot of obstacle courses because the stars are gonna be running and jumping through uh, or being chased by this or that. Um, but it's just a blast and. Um, some of the most influential uh, movies ever made, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, you know, Indiana Jones, 
movies, um, everything. I, he's he's just the man. Uh, that's basically it. Spielberg. Greg? I meant everything I said about Spielberg last time. I don't like being manipulated. And although I feel like Zemeckis has done the same thing in Forrest Gump, uh, I feel like Spielberg's done it more and done it more often. So I will vote for the student rather than the teacher and give it to Zemeckis. Uh, vote for Zemeckis. Mike? The, this, is, this is how I see this going down. Uh, Zemeckis and Spielberg are Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader in uh, Star Wars. And Zemeckis says, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And then Spielberg just says, bitch, please, and chokes him. Spielberg. Christy? Uh, um, I guess I will pick Zemeckis to tie it up. Luckily, it's not tied up. Fuck. Spielberg already won. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and Spielberg <laughs> into the next round. <sighs> this is for a spot in the final four, Jeremy. It is Akira Kurosawa versus David Lynch. Yeah, this is like heavy hitters right here. Um, probably one of the... Man, I don't even know. Um Hmm. I guess um, I'm going to go with just um, what movie I would probably, what kind of movies I would probably want to watch uh, if I was, you know, wanting to watch a movie. And I think I probably would go with David Lynch. So um, I never really felt like Kurosawa um, was like etched in my brain. Like I love his movies, but Lynch movies, they just, they stay with you and you just, kind of almost like haunted by them. And um, I, uh, I I have to give it to my uh, my emotions on this one. So, David Lynch. Uh, vote for David Lynch. Greg. See, I, I understand that, you know, Kurosawa was perhaps not etched in our brain, but he has certainly edged, etched into our popular culture and done so from a very foreign location. You know, it's as if you walked into a studio and said, I want to pitch you a story about a crime that's been committed and you're going to see it from four different perspectives and you're never going to know exactly which the right one is and it's going to culminate dramatically multiple times. But we know this. This is episodes of 30-something. It's been you know, drug out in other TV dramas. It's Courage Under Fire, but it's really Rashomon. And The Magnificent Seven is really The Seven Samurai. And in some ways, High and Low, which is the one Kurosawa recommendation I would make if he ends up going down now, has a lot to do with the existence of the police procedural as we know it today at all. Um, shows like Law and Order, where a crime is presented to you and you end up going through the entire police investigation and courtroom stage. Um, High and Low does it brilliantly with the same actor who's played um, you know, the samurai character more often than not, uh, pulling it off as being just an upscale sort of tight-knit businessman. We see Kurosawa film and Kurosawa plot lines all the time, um, throughout our war movies, throughout our police dramas, and especially um, in anything that harkens back to the samurai film. He wasn't the only one, but he's the reason that the world probably saw most of the Kurosawa. A vote for Kurosawa. Mike? Uh, I'm going to vote for David Lynch. Um, 
you know, when it comes down to who is more influential, it is probably Kurosawa. Although, uh, Lynch, Lynch's influence is pretty strong too. And, and, you know, it was mentioned earlier, I think when he was up against Hitchcock that, uh, you know, hit Hitchcockian is kind of a way to describe something, but I've, I've heard Lynchian being used as well. I mean, he's, he, Kurosawa may have defined a lot of film language, but, uh, but David Lynch redefined a lot of it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of his work because like I said, it doesn't connect to me, uh, as much. Um, but I can, I can applaud and respect, uh, just how, how daring and unsettling it is. And maybe that's why I don't connect to it. Maybe, maybe my not connecting to it is, is the appropriate reaction, uh, you know, to that I have to the, to the way he handles things. Um, Kurosawa, you know, for me, it's, it, he's, he's much more academic. I, I saw his stuff more in, in film classes and, and has studied him as, uh, a, a piece of academic, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but basically it, it's more of an intellectual kind of looking at it, dissecting it, analyzing it. I've never watched a Kurosawa movie because, uh, I wanted to just like sit down and have a good time. Um, but I've done that with David Lynch. And though it doesn't always work, uh, when it does, it works very well. And even when it doesn't work, it still leaves a strange impression. Uh, vote for David Lynch. Christy. What's really cool about Kurosawa is that his a lot of his film, films really reflect his life, and, or, or, or vice versa. Um, he's so prolific that you really get to see the arc of his career. Um, so his first chunk of films were bad or not very good. And then he gets um, a lot more control over his screenplays and stuff like on drunken angel. And it's amazing. And it has both Mufune and shimmer in it, two people that he uses a lot. Um, and then you get Rashomon and it was a smash hit worldwide. Seriously. Like it did well everywhere and then you get ikiru the not, not samurai films the more sentimental reflection upon life and then you get seven samurai throne of blood which is amazing if you haven't seen it so i mentioned before it's Macbeth, but but awesome but japanese <laughs> um and then he goes from the top of his game and through many people's eyes the made maybe his biggest flop which I don't agree with, Dodeska then. It has a lot of problems, but it's a beautiful film. Um, but then he made an amazing comeback with what is probably the best film about friendship that has ever been made, um, Derso Uzala, which was this joint um, juncture with Russia. And, oh my God, dudes, dudes, you gotta watch it. It's so good. And then after this, he makes Kagemusha, which is like the biggest epic, um, and there's this beautiful dream sequence. And so, I mean, he's uh, Kurosawa is famous for making paintings for his um, storyboards for his movies. Um, and then after Kagamusha, you get Ron, probably my favorite, um, and has probably the most effective ending in any movie ever. Um, and even his like super later stuff. A lot of people don't like later Kurosawa because they think he went. I mean, he really went from angry, angsty, young director to more sentimental, reflective director. And, um, you know, Rhapsody in August has fucking Richard Gere in it. It's fucking amazing. 
Madadeo, his last film, beautiful. Like, I don't even see that this is a contest. I love David Lynch, too, seriously. But Kurosawa really, really needs to go through. It is all... Sorry. In Dreams, Scorsese plays Van Gogh, who walks right into the paintings that the art direction has recreated. So that, that, that later stuff, very cool. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Paul. Which one is going to take the win? Well, I remember the immortal words of Frank Booth. I'll fuck anything that moves. And that's what David Lynch does. He fucks anything that moves. From Eraserhead to Wild at Heart to Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway. It's it takes things and twists things and it makes you it makes the audience see things differently and kurosawa is brilliant he does amazing things however i think it takes a certain talent to twist perception on the audience and sort of take them in, take them in that different direction so I'm going to go with David Lynch. Uh, vote for David Lynch. Doesn't sound like anybody's changing their vote. David Lynch is into the final four. We are on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. Is Stanley Kubrick versus, let me see if I can find his first name again. Uh, no, I can't. Who now? I'm almost tempted to turn the tables on these two men because I feel like in many ways Kubrick has led kind of a charmed life. He was given greater directorial control at a time in his career when that was a little bit unheard of. And he never really had as many budgetary problems as some of his contemporaries did. Now, credit to him for that. But you'd love to see, at least I would love to see, what Kubrick would do with a budget of $500,000 and a cast of Mexican actors trying to, you know, trying to make a melodrama and uh, equally I'd be interested in seeing what Boonwell would have done if he'd been asked to actually shoot a, a large scale war film or really what at the time might've been the kind of the first science fiction epic. I'm going to vote for Boonwell and I'm going to give uh, Kubrick both criticism and praise with a quick story. I worked at a movie theater that showed 2001 as a midnight movie gathering the typical midnight movie crowd and the projectionist had screwed up and put the reels together in the wrong order. And it ended up with jumping back and forth between the cavemen and the, the final segment and keeping the howl piece pretty well intact, but everything else was all over the map. And the, uh, the very drunk and very high people who were watching the show didn't once come out to demand a refund or ask the movie to be put back in the right form. They just said, man, that was awesome. Boonwell. <laughs> I'll vote for Boonwell. Uh, Mike? I'm going to vote for uh, Kubrick. Um, it shouldn't be obvious at this point. Uh, he is is one of my favorite directors. Um, he has not done a lot. He's chosen his work, but it's all been very, very powerful stuff. Uh, I, I think it's also telling that uh, when... Uh, Spielberg picked up the reins of AI. He still, still some of Kubrick's seeped in and, and, and 
kind of molded Spielberg, who really is kind of unmoldable, uh, at least at that point in his career. Uh, and still, it, it just sort of seeped in and changed the movie and, and, and made it do things that a Spielberg movie wouldn't do because that, that vibe is so strong there. Um, he's all he's become kind of legendary. I mean, now there's that whole thing about uh, he actually was the person who directed the faked moon landing that's been uh, been bouncing around the conspiracy theories lately. There's a documentary coming out about the secrets hidden in The Shining. I mean, he's really kind of become a, a legendary in his uh, his weirdness and his his recluseness. And uh, and and one other, uh, I think, kind of interesting point about 2001 is uh, 2001 uh, was a book and a movie and a comic book. Uh, and the book... Uh, which basically came first, even though they was developed at the same time as the movie. Um, but it was based on uh, the short story first uh, was by Arthur C. Clarke, who is, you know, among the best of what he, uh, of most of the best people of, of what he does. Uh, the movie was, uh, was Kubrick, who was one of the best at what he does. And the comic book was Jack Kirby, who was among the best of what he does, because only the story was so, Big and immense, only the people who were the best of what they could do uh, were allowed to handle it. So uh, for me, that's all Kubrick. Uh, vote for Kubrick. Christy? Um, I have been singing the praises of Buñuel the whole time, and I love him to death, but Kubrick is one of my favorite directors. Um, take any spill from any of his films, and it's an amazing image. Maybe the best image you've ever seen. Um, let's see. Oh, also, there's like a listen to this chunk of movies that he made back to back Lolita, then Dr. Strangelove, then 2001, then A Clockwork Orange, then Barry Lyndon, and then The Shining. That's an amazing string of beautiful, I won't say always successful, but amazing film so Kubrick uh, another vote for Kubrick Paul well you know I didn't know they stacked shit that high so I'm going to go with Stanley Kubrick nice uh, <laughs> a vote for Kubrick and Jeremy well, this one is really isn't really that close for me. Uh, Kubrick is just a, a monster. He's um, that list of of movies that Christie read is just out of control. I mean, they're all great uh, in their own way. Um, he's just, uh, I mean, yeah, his attention to detail and eye for um, framing and keeping and just like you knew you were watching a Kubrick film when everything was just like. The, the, that center shot where everything is just so symmetrical and, and just perfectly like placed and, you know, uh, really apparent in the shining, um, with these long hallway shots or the shot of the elevator, uh, with the blood coming out and, you know, just, just such an incredible, um, eye and, and feel for, um, what uh what films what what the films that he wanted to make he, that he wanted them to be uh notoriously difficult to work with um 
he took forever to make a lot of his movies and drove the, the movie studios crazy. Um, but he wanted to do it his way and his way just proved to be, um, monumental. Um, and I just can't say the same thing for Buñuel. So Kubrick. And Kubrick is into the final four. Mike, this fight is yours. It's Terry Gilliam versus David Zucker. Gilliam. Yeah, I figured this is probably going to be the only easy one. You were probably only going to be the only Zucker vote. Uh, Christy. Yeah, Gilliam. <laughs> uh, Paul. Uh, you, mm, you know what? I'll I'll buck the trend. I'm going to go. I, I want to see a comedy guy. Let's go, Zucker. Uh, vote for Zucker, Jeremy. Gilliam. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> Gilliam. Yeah. I figured that one would be a quick one. I was like, oh, that's going to go pretty quickly because I think only one vote for Zucker there. Uh, but Terry Gilliam into the final four on to our next fight. This one's easy for some of you. It is Francis Ford Coppola versus Steven Spielberg. Christy, that's yours. I'm definitely voting for Coppola. The Congress. Okay. So he doesn't have a lot of films that. I own or make my top, but the conversation is one of my favorite movies. I say that about everything though. Everything is one of my favorites. Well, I like the conversation better than anything that Steven Spielberg's ever made. So Coppola. A vote for Coppola. Paul. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's tough. You want best director? I, I, I can't put Reese's pieces against K. Don't ask me about my business. Francis Ford Coppola. Jeremy. The horror. The horror. I'm not choosing Francis Ford Coppola. A vote for Steven Spielberg. Uh, Greg. No, no, no. Coppola. Oh, you said I'm not choosing. Horror of not choosing Francis oh, Ford Coppola. Sorry, I apologize. A vote no for Coppola. Uh, Greg? Well, Spielberg has made two of my least favorite sequels of all time, and Coppola has made my absolute favorite sequel of all time, so this one's not too hard for me. Coppola. Godfather 3, right? There you go, the one I refuse to watch. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Mike, is it a clean sweep for Coppola? No, it's not. Um, I love Coppola. I I fully expected to have to defend him uh, a lot um, because I think everything after Apocalypse Now has has been uh, decent at best, but uh, quite horrible at worst. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I think that streak from Godfather to Apocalypse Now and Apocalypse Now doesn't get a lot of love on the show. That that's that's one of my all-time favorite movies. I wanted I wanted to do best war movie just so I could push for Apocalypse Now because I love it so much. But Spielberg has has done uh so much more. I mean, ultimately part of being best director would be at some point either not sucking or quitting. Uh and 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 Coppola kind of didn't do that. Um it's funny that that here in in this last spot is where we get the directors that are kind of the more traditional directors, directors that have a, an amazing technical proficiency. 
Um, and I think as far as representing that traditional Hollywood style uh, moving forward, uh, it, it's Spielberg. I mean, they both kind of came out, you know, in similar times. They're both from uh, from kind of, uh, was it UCLA and USC and then the LA film schools and all that. Um, but Spielberg has, has maintained a, a much higher quality of work. And, uh, and, you know, really recently last year I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and IMAX and, uh, you know, adventure and action and chase movies may not get a lot of respect, but they're amazingly difficult things to make work. And Spielberg makes them work better than anybody. That movie holds up to this day. It's what, 30 years old or close to that now or more. And, and it still had me on the edge of the, my seat every time. And then I go from that into seeing Lincoln, where you see a director that is matured enough to know to get out of the way when your movie is built around one uh, one performance. And somehow Spielberg actually makes Lincoln, his movie, more exciting than the movie where Lincoln is killing vampires. And that's an amazing thing to do. Go Spielberg. I'll vote for Steven Spielberg, but... Francis Ford Coppola is into the final four. We've got David Lynch versus Stanley Kubrick and Terry Gilliam versus Francis Ford Coppola. Paul, this first fight is yours. It is David Lynch versus Stanley Kubrick. Well, this one sort of kills me because I was sort of championing David Lynch through, you know, the first three rounds here. But when it comes down to it, Lynch, eh, Okay, Lynch had a sci-fi epic. He's got Dune. Kubrick got 2001. Personally, I prefer David Lynch uh, in Dune. But the rest of David Lynch's material, uh, you got got Twin Peaks. You have Wild at Heart. um, You have Mulholland Drive. It's this sort of noir-feeling material. But Stanley Kubrick has The Killing, which was, you wouldn't have any of those films if it weren't for The Killing. And I liked The Killing more than any of those films. So I'm going to go with Kubrick. Uh, Vote for Stanley Kubrick. Jeremy. Wow. Wow. I uh, I think I'm I'm gonna have to agree and go with Kubrick, uh, kind of against my uh, my emotions. I certainly feel more um, emotionally attached to David Lynch, but I think Kubrick just is what he's like on this whole other level of of, of cool and 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 just artistic and just gorgeous filmmaking. Um, I, I don't know if anyone's mentioned this before, but I, one of my favorite movies of his is actually Paths of Glory, which is um, with Kirk Douglas. And um, it's about World War I, uh, which is a war that hardly ever gets any airplay. Most of the movies that are made are about World War II. And it just was just fantastic. And, you know, I really, I, I was on the edge of my seat and, and some it's about stuff that, you know, uh, had happened before and and was from so long ago. And, you know, as a teenager, I was just like, you know, this is one of the best war movies I've ever seen. Um, and full metal jacket, you know, towards the other end of his career, you know, uh, say what you will about the second half, but just, you know, a visceral movie, uh, and what a performance, uh, from, from the cast, just, just incredible. Um, 
And again, I, I always kind of come back to, to 2001 just because it's kind of uh, a touchstone for me. Um, just, just mind blowing. And, um, when I found out that you could watch the last 23 minutes synced up with Pink Floyd's echoes, um, it blew my mind. And there was definitely some, um, uh, pot being smoked that night. I'll say that. Kubrick. Greg. Well, first let me say I can be swayed here because I really don't have, I don't have a clear opinion in my head. There's a lot about Lynch that I love. Lynch brings a weirdness that no one else, you know, really can can match. Uh, Eraserhead probably being the movie that I would pick of both catalogs of these guys and saying, you know, there's there's a movie that had to be made and couldn't have been made by anybody else. But I think I'm going to go with what Kubrick has done with actors and talk about maybe qualifying a little bit to be saying maybe among the best performances, but Kirk Douglas among his best performances in Paths of Glory, uh, Peter Sellers and George C. Scott both among their best work in Dr. Strange Love, uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, uh, Malcolm McDowell certainly in, in uh, A Clockwork Orange. I could go on and on. And I'm also one of those guys who likes the second half of Full Metal Jacket, likes it a lot. A movie that gave us perhaps one of the best performances from Vincent D'Onofrio um, and an iconic performance from, from Emery. Um, so I, I think when you're talking about working with actors being one of the key crucial skills of a director, uh, Lynch can deliver that. The straight story in a few other places, he, he shows range there, but I don't think that there's anybody left on this piece of paper besides maybe Coppola who shows that kind of range just in terms of directing actors. Kubrick. Uh, vote for Kubrick. Mike. Uh, yeah, I will also vote for uh, Kubrick here. Um, you know, I was actually surprised that it, it got this far before we mentioned things like a clockwork orange and full metal jacket. I mean, you know, we just go down the list. Uh, I'm glad that Dr. Strangelove uh, has gotten a lot of love recently on this show. Um, the variety in there, all of the uh, iconic images, um, you know, I mean, Kubrick was one of the ones that when he hit the list, you know, I just, I just figured he was going to go uh, quite the distance. Uh, I'm glad he has. Uh, and, and, you know, in addition to filming all of the fake moon landing stuff, uh, he filmed all the fake uh, OJ Simpson chase stuff too. Christy, is it a clean sweep? Yes. And I guess I will save arguments for the next round since it is a clean sweep. I don't know if you'll have to, but Kubrick is into the finals. Uh, we're at the next fight. Jeremy, one is yours. It's Terry Gilliam versus Francis Ford Coppola. I was looking at um, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, body of work um, and uh, I was kind of surprised. That, I mean, there's amazing movies made in the 70s, but when I looked at the movies that he made in the 80s, I noticed that nothing really like jumped out at me being like, you know, this is, you know, a fantastic movie, whereas everything in the 70s was pretty much, you know, fall into that genre. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm going to go with, with Gilliam because I feel like he has been consistently putting out stuff that I like uh, 
just as much if in a different way again as i said like being transported to you know fantastical worlds and um gilliam certainly does uh does that um so i'm going to vote for terry gilliam uh vote for gilliam uh greg with the possible exception of apocalypse now a lot of what Coppola has done is put something on screen that we that we need to accept in a, largely a linear narrative kind of a way, which means that he's given us great movies that we can enjoy one way. And to his credit, we can enjoy movies like the Godfather films uh, one way many times. But to me, every time Gilliam makes a movie, there's a solid chance, and often as not he delivers, a film that can be seen in two completely different ways. Uh, I often watch 12 Monkeys from the perspective that maybe James Cole is just a mental patient in 1980 and that all of this is a divergent reality that they talk about two or three times in sort of unprovoked ways during the script to sort of put the seed out there that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to play a little game with you. Maybe this is all real. Maybe this isn't. Maybe he's from the future. Maybe he's just dreamed it all. And along the way, Gilliam, I think, plants these, these sort of little nutmegs that you can find along the way the second and third and fourth time you watch it. And so just for the, the rewatchability and the variability in the, in the experience, I'm going to vote for Gilliam. Mike. That's a, that's a very good point. This is a, this is a tough, tough one. Um, both of these are, are among my favorite directors. Um, Gilliam, like I said, I have far more of his stuff. Um, but I do have the basically the four key Coppola movies uh, and Godfather 3 that came in the box set. I had no choice. Um, Apocalypse Now was so good that the documentary that they made about it is just as good. Um, hmm. I will vote for Coppola right now. I could be swayed, but I will vote basically to keep this this idea of of kind of a more traditional, uh, linear, uh, straightforward filmmaker moving forward. Uh, we've got Kubrick on the other side, uh, being you know maybe a bit more of the auteur. Uh, and as much as I love Gilliam, sometimes he's a little messy. Uh, sometimes he does not quite accomplish what he is trying to do. Uh, while you could certainly say that for a good deal of Coppola's work too, uh, Coppola just based on those those four movies uh, and two of them Godfather movies. Uh, for now, I will vote Coppola, though uh, I could be swayed. I'll vote for Coppola, Christy. Hmm. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I was originally going to vote for Gilliam, but. Mike's almost sort of wishy-washiness over the two of them has made me reconsider and thinking about maybe voting for Coppola. I was going to um, talk about how I really enjoyed Tideland, which was, you know, panned by everybody. Um, I'm sure there are fans out there. Um, I guess I... I, I, I want to vote for Coppola because he, he is a straightforward director. He's um, more traditional, uh, almost grand, um, small epics. But I think I will vote for Gilliam because he has done as many gr 
grand giant things like Baron Munchausen to very small stories like Tideland. Um, and they're all fantastical. You all, you always know you're watching a Gilliam movie, whereas Coppola, they're maybe in the beginning you were watching Coppola, but there's so many people who, you know, mimic, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to vote for Gilliam for right now. Also. Yes. I'll vote for Gilliam and Paul. I appreciate Gilliam's style. I think he's got a lot of great things going in the films that he makes, but again, it comes down to what I like and what I want to watch again and again and again. And I think Coppola has the edge there from again, outsiders to Rumblefish to the Godfathers. Um, Peggy Sue got married every single weekend in my household. I don't know how I live without it. Anyway, um, not really. But, I mean, even when he took his take on on, on Dracula, it, it was this... this he, he went from the organized crime regimented sort of black and white thing of the Godfather movies just very structured to, I mean, I don't want to call it quite surreal, but just this color saturated thing of Dracula. And it just, it, it really made an impression on me. So I'm going to have to go with Francis Ford Coppola. And let's not forget the famous Francis Ford Coppola, uh, of Michael Jackson mashup called Captain EO. Captain EO. But it doesn't matter because Terry Gilliam is into the finals. We've got Stanley Kubrick versus Terry Gilliam. Uh, Greg, that one is yours. And this one's all about spite. Um, my favorite director who's ever lived is Luis Manuel. Um, Kubrick knocked him out. My favorite film, at least my favorite American film, also a surrealist film, is Brazil. So there's going to be lots of arguments for Kubrick. Most of those arguments are probably right, but my vote goes to Terry Gilliam. A vote for Terry Gilliam. Mike. This this really is tough. Um, Gilliam has provided me with more satisfaction than uh, Kubrick. Um, Kubrick makes better movies. Objectively speaking, in every way, he is a better director. Yet Gilliam makes movies that entertain me more. So which is the job of the director? Uh, that's kind of a question I brought up earlier. And now, you know, here's really where I, I, I thought it would, it would wind up. Um, is, is it his job to create a movie that I like or a movie that he wants to make? Uh, that's, that's, I guess, the question of all art. Uh I will vote for Gilliam at the moment. I could be swayed. Christy. Wow. Well, I'm voting for Kubrick. He is possibly the greatest American director, in my opinion. Um, We haven't talked about Barry Lyndon much, but um, Ryan O'Neill's performance in that was amazing. We were talking about how he gets these amazing performances out of actors. Um. Also, I mean, we haven't even really talked about 
his groundbreaking cinematography technique. He was one of the first people to use, uh, um, was it wasn't a steady cam. It was it was exactly what someone was talking earlier in The Shining, where that wasn't the first time he used it. But the slow panning backwards, um, and uh, for Barry Lyndon, he got like super special lenses developed for NASA so he could film under natural candlelight without action, without any other lighting. Um, he always made what he wanted to make. I'm not saying that Terry Gilliam didn't. I'm not saying that. Terry Gilliam is an innovator. Um, I think that Kubrick is more of an innovator for film. Um, there's a reason why you study Kubrick in film school. Uh, and he's done it all. He's done noir. He's done uh, science fiction. He's done violent studies of psychology. He's done horror. He's done the... the um, Costume epic, I guess, what you would call Barry London. Um, I just don't think this is any contest. And it's nothing against Terry Gilliam because I love him. It's just he's not Kubrick. Uh, vote for Kubrick. Paul. Uh, Christy basically said everything that I was going to say as far as Kubrick goes. Um, he's He's run the gamut. Again, noir. The killing, um, you know, the psychosexual thing with Lolita and eyes wide shut, um, the farce of Doctor Strange Love, uh, science fiction in two thousand one. Barry Lyndon, I've seen again. I appreciate the technical innovation. I don't appreciate the movie on on the whole, and. Full Metal Jacket, which gave me Arlie Ermy for a full ninety minutes of uh, berating Marine Corps cadets. That was fucking brilliant. And you know, I didn't know they stacked shit that high. Stanley Kubrick. Well, this sucks for you, Jeremy. It is all tied up. It comes down to you. Which is the best director? Oh man, responsibility. Um, I I I really think I I might have been swayed by um by Christie's uh, ar- uh, argument for Kubrick. Um, it's the breadth of the work. It's the it's the the, the chances that were were taken. Um, it, it's the the visitation to all these different points on the map. Uh, you know, cinematically. Um. Just, uh, you know, and, and, and Gilliam is one of my favorite directors and his work, in, even with the Monty Python, you know, uh, stuff, it, it's, you know, his animation and stuff like that is just brilliant. Um, but sometimes I get the feeling that um, Gilliam makes movies for himself and not necessarily for uh, the audience. Um, in some ways, Lynch is the same way. Um, I feel that Kubrick was really one of the first directors to, you know, just make a huge, can, just could, who could make a huge epic movie um, before they really existed. I mean, 2001 was 10 years before Star Wars. Star Wars wouldn't have existed without 2001 and the technical innovations that he, that he did in that movie. Um, and, uh, I mean, The Shining, just so, just so utterly terrifying. 
um, even to this day, like I still get kind of creeped out by the shots, the super tight shots in the hallways, um, and the, and the carpet and just like the way that he just frames every, really it's his framing. I just am such a fan. And there's so many directors that, that try to rip his style off Wes Anderson being one, um, many others. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's basically just, he just could just do everything. He is the director that could do everything and anything. And I don't think you can say that about Terry Gilliam. So I vote for Kubrick. And Stanley Kubrick is the best director of all time. But of course, as always, we are wrong. The best director of all time is, of course, the Uwe Boll, director of In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, a fabulous movie uh, with the main character named Farmer. That's, his, that's the character name, the whole entire movie. He has no other name than Farmer. He's the son of the king. I wrecked it for you. Um, does anybody have anything they'd like to plug? Uh, Paul? I've got nothing vaguely plug-worthy at this point, but I will definitely let you guys know at a future date. All right. Uh, Jeremy? No, not really. I'm, uh, you know, plugless, I guess. <laughs> uh, Christy? I will just briefly mention some of the directors that were not on the list that should have been. Um, Robert Altman. <laughs> Robert Altman. Rubber Brisson, Jacques Tati, Mar Bergman. Um, but I, Cooper, Cooper's good. Uh, I would love to have seen the uh, Bergman Kubrick final. Um, they're two of my favorites. So. Yeah. That'd have been a big one. I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, Greg? <laughs> Here's a little piece of geek fight serendipity, I suppose. The uh, Kurosawa film Rashomon was made about 10 years later for American TV and directed by one of the directors on our list. Actually, directed by Sidney Lumet, his first-round opponent. You, know, you can't just make that up. That, that really happened. Wow. Um, although I haven't seen the TV movie, but <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, the only thing I'd like to plug, plug is Inappropriate Conversations. It's a serious podcast, an audio blog format, with the idea of saying that we probably should not be trying to keep things like politics, religion, sex, drugs, rock and roll, pop culture separated from each other. Let's bring this shit together and talk it out. Inappropriateconversations.org. And it's clean. You can listen to it with your kids around. Kind of. There's the, there's the occasional explicit language tag. I'm really... Really careful about the explicit language tag. Yeah. Uh, we are not. It's on there every time, no matter how often we swear. <laughs> We've been trying to get something worse than explicit. I know. I, I, it will really work. There's um, a few that I think explicit does not justify. No, no. It's way worse. Like the drunk episode last week, Space Mexicans. Yeah. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't explicit. It's just hate crimey. I know. I know. <laughs> hate crimey. Uh, right, me. We <laughs> a special thanks goes to uh, uh, Christy and uh, Chris Mitchell uh, pimping out the uh, Geek Fights Wikia, and to Mr. Jared Formby for the amazing intros he creates. Uh, you can check him out at www.heystartrek.com. Also, super underscore Spock on the Twitters. Mike, you can find me on the Weekend Geek Video Show where we review comics every week. You can check us out at geekfights.net. We have lists of show ideas, the brackets we mentioned earlier, our past episodes, 
and links to our wiki, our Facebook page, and our Tumblr. Hey, what am I supposed to say here, Mike? I completely Don't forgot. forget to rate and review us on iTunes and the Zoom Network. Okay. Or like us on Facebook. Now it's your turn. If you'd like to be on the panel, just contact us at geekfights.gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, just follow Geek Fight or just look for Geek Fights or follow the links on the website. Um, especially uh, Facebook. That's the only place that I pay attention to. That's how you join the Legion of Geeks. They'll never see us coming. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> next week's episode is Best School. Yep. We're doing it. And then after that is Best Unknown. We, we, what, well, the plan on that one, it may or may not happen, is uh, six people do six separate. Uh, who fell off? I hope it wasn't Mike. Oh, no, I'm here. I, yeah. I, I know I fell off. Oh, that was you. Okay, good. Uh, but five people do uh, just get to pick six things randomly, and then we'll put them together in a list, and we'll figure out what we're actually fighting about during the actual <laughs> episode. sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, no, it's no, not going to be it'll be terrible. It'll be terrible, but we're going to do it anyway. We don't care. <laughs> Any and all ideas are welcome. Uh, thanks again for listening. Until next time. Uh, please press the donate button and donate on our website. Good night. She did. did. Thank you very much. Fifteen cents. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you sorry. proved it worked. You proved it I worked. That's excellent. Yes, I was wondering about that too. And I was like, "Oh, sweet, it worked. It works." Anyway, uh, keep fighting the geek fight. Good night. Good evening. I'm sorry not to be able to be with you tonight to receive this great honor of the D.W. Griffith Award. But I'm in London making eyes wide shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And just about this time, I'm probably in the car on the way to the studio, which, as it happens, reminds me of a conversation I had with Steven Spielberg about what was the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film. And I believe Stephen summed it up about as profoundly as you can. He thought the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film was getting out of the car. I'm sure you all know the feeling. But at the same time, anyone who has ever been privileged to direct a film also knows that although it can be like trying to write war and peace in a bumper car in an amusement park. When you finally get it right, there are not many joys in life that can equal the feeling. I think there's an intriguing irony in naming the Lifetime Achievement Award after D.W. Griffiths, because his career was both an inspiration and a cautionary tale. His best films will always rank among the most important films ever made and some of them made him a great deal of money. He was instrumental in transforming movies from a Nickelodeon novelty to an art form, and he originated and formalized much of the syntax of movie making, now taken for granted. He became an international celebrity, and his patronage included many of the world's leading artists and statesmen 
of the time. But Griffith was always ready to take tremendous risks in his films and in his business affairs. He was always ready to fly too high. And in the end, the wings of fortune proved for him, like those of Icarus, to be made of nothing more substantial than wax and feathers. And like Icarus, when he flew too close to the sun, they melted. And the man whose fame exceeded the most illustrious filmmakers of today spent the last 17 years of his life shunned by the film industry he had created. I've compared Griffith's career to the Icarus myth, but at the same time, I've never been certain whether the moral of the Icarus story should only be, as is generally accepted, don't try to fly too high, or whether it might also be thought of as forget the wax and feathers and do a better job on the wings. One thing, however, is certain. D.W. Griffith left us with an inspiring and intriguing legacy. And the award in his name is one of the greatest honors a film director can receive. Something for which I humbly thank all of you very much. It's break time. Uh, <laughs> anybody needs to pee? I'll be right yeah. back. Precautionary. I'll be back. Doing my good old fashioned. Goddamn Spielberg almost went out. Who flipped their vote? I didn't catch it. Who flipped their vote on that? Greg did. Thank God. <laughs> like I, oh, hurts me so bad. And I'm looking at his IMDb. Like there. There isn't a single movie on here that I would go, well, there is a single movie on here that I would go, it's horrible. And that's the Indiana Jones. I don't think they're horrible. It's just not my thing. Well, yeah. That's my not... best director. No, I'm fine with you. Oh, but everybody else. The, the other two, I was upset with. <laughs> Come on. You, and you know when I realized that he's a really, really good director? It's War Horse. I didn't watch War Horse. But it's on cable now. So I sat down and watched Warhearts. And I would watch bits and pieces of it. And slowly but surely, I watched the whole fucking movie. I'm like, this is an amazing thing. It's a fucking horse. I care about this goddamn horse. And, and he gets a performance out of the fucking horse. The horse has a performance. That's what she said. I think it was much more convincing getting a performance out of Kate Capshaw. But that's okay. Ooh, Kevin Costner. 